Welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. Wise Guys is your home to interact with the worldwide community of BYU fans in a variety of ways. We're your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. What you're about to hear is the audio recording from our weekly live broadcast. We invite you to join us for the show live every week to chat with us and with other BYU fans. You can find the schedule and watch live at wiseguys.com. That's ysguys.com. Thanks for listening, and go Coops. Clearly, uh, somebody paid the DJ it's for our, like, our warm-up music. No, because he's not doing ACDC doesn't mean I had to pay him. I think there was a transaction <laughs> to DJ. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday Night. The Wise Guys, Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler. We hope you enjoyed the uh, grooving music uh, leading up to our if they would, if it wasn't Arrival. if it wasn't against copyright, we we would have played Jelly Roll, right, DJ? Is that what we, that was? That was Jelly no, Roll. No, that wasn't Jelly Roll because we can't play Jelly Roll because that would be copyright problems. I'll take a chocolate raised but, but donut. I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend Jelly, Jelly, Roll. Jelly Roll, the artist, <laughs> and and the song that is my favorite song of Jelly Rolls is "Son of a Sinner," and it's like it's got a really good hook chorus that's really good by and jelly roll and his sisters leads the band fruitcake right <laughs> is that is that not DJ, is that not just, accurate he just doesn't respect our music dj <laughs> jelly roll <laughs> come on that's like the time i met 50 cent i'm down at a tyson fight and i'm like what yeah who's 50 cent what do i what i call you 50 do friends call you well, 50 or do they just if, go 50 if cent saw, if you saw a picture of jelly roll too you'd be like that's the guy singing these songs come on <laughs> kind of like when you see Post Malone and don't understand how, like you look at him and you go, that's the guy that all this music is coming. There's Jelly Roll right there. Yeah. I look at Post Malone. That's Jelly Roll right there. He lives there, here in Utah and, and he's awesome. But I look at him and I think all the time in the tattoo chair. Yeah. Can you believe that guy? When you hear his music, you're going to be, that's not that guy. But he seems like a like a good soul to me. Jelly Roll does. Looks a little crazy, but he seems like a good soul. It's homecoming week here in Provo for BYU. The leaves are changing on the hillside. Uh, the temperatures are in the 70s. It's the best time of year. It is, and and I, I have you know I told you about this today, but for folks watching out there and listening, um, so the fall colors I've never appreciated until Sunday because I'm colorblind. We make right. fun of me all the time. I don't but know if it's making fun, but we just we, we, we just tease have about fun. it. We it's fun. fun. I make fun of myself, right? Just a little bit. And, and it's the reds and greens that I can't see. Like they just all kind of blend together. Red just has always just looked like. Brown to me looks the same as brown. If I'm playing golf, and actually, I have a, I, when you drive with him, red looks green. Yeah, red looks green. That's bad. <laughs> if I have a red tee and I'm playing golf and I hit the ball, and the tee flies up and lands on the grass, I can't find it. It looks the same to me. It blends right in. And so, so Brenda, my wife, took me up to the mountains and she got a pair of these colorblind glasses that somehow correct your colorblindness. Oh yeah. And for the first time in my whole life, I could see the beautiful reds on the mountainside. You guys like I'm. This fall is like amazing to me now. The last couple of days, I, I'm I'm driving around in my car and I just can't take my eyes off of the mountains because I've never been able to see red before. So the first time in my life, I'm seeing these beautiful hues of reds on the mountainside. And so don't take for granted the beauty that's out there. I've never seen that, and for my first time in my life, I've seen it this weekend. While you're driving around staring at all the reds, remember there's a car in front of you. So here's the thing: I'm having a hard time. Like I might actually like the Utes uniforms right now because. Like, I have this great fondness for red now that I'm just seeing it for the first time. Um, and it, and it's pretty cool color. I didn't realize how cool red is. But on the mountainside, you know how there's, like, different shades of red with all the oaks up there? Yeah. The scrub oaks and the Rocky Mountain um, uh, Big Tooth Maples go red. I've never been able to see any of that. They just, like, brown to me. That's cool. I'm yeah. glad you were able to do no, that. It's, that's, that's awesome. So that Saturday was a real downer with the game. And then Sunday was a real upper 
being able to see the colors in the mountains for the first time in my life. It was really cool. Right out of the gate, we got a fantasy football question. Uh, in the 10-man PPR league, would you trade Kamara for Swift? <laughs> now, listen, I wouldn't trade for Swift. Swift's been hurt, still is, I think. That's allowed Jamal Williams to get – Jamal Williams leads the league in touchdowns. You think they're just going to bench him for Swift when Swift comes back? And Kamara is still the dude with the Saints, even though he's been banged up. Hey, if you don't have Taysom Hill, shame on you. <laughs> I right? got Taysom Hill. I picked you him up today. You have Taysom. I don't have him. And in my league, um, I'm not even going to get going on because I – no. I, I don't want to dog on people. But <laughs> it's, a, it's all right. It's a long season in the fantasy world. Yeah. But I, okay, I'm just going to dog on one person. All right. Matt Stafford. What in the crap is wrong with Matt Stafford? He's my quarterback, and he's killing me. The Cowboys dominated him. But I had Cooper Cup, and he did get Cooper Cup the ball. Yeah, Cooper Cup. Cooper so I appreciated Cup. that for me, but I don't know where. What Chubb is my best on. player on my fantasy team. That dude's consistently getting me points every week. But my yeah, quarterback, is he is losing me games every week. Well, he's got it. They're the Super Bowl champs, so he's got to figure it out. He, hopefully, things turn around. You know, I, Jaron Hall had an out-of-character game. Yeah. On Saturday, we'll talk about it a little bit. But he too, there wasn't anything right about about him for most of that game. No, no, against Notre Dame. Hey, before we get into stuff, we want to invite you on Twitch. Make the free account. Click on the chat button here at the bottom of the screen and follow us there. And on YouTube, subscribe to us. It's free. Uh, the link is in the chat. Just go there, hit subscribe, and then you're all in. And uh, we can grow, and uh, and you can hang out, and we'll. We'll do this whole thing together. Yeah. No, absolutely. We need you to subscribe. Doesn't cost anything. So, hey, and, and 1010 forever. I, I appreciate that. Um, BYU Sports Addict said, hey, that's a cool color story, Blaine. And 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 then 1010 forever says, hey, Blaine, the Utes Unis will yeah. still be ugly. You haven't missed anything. <laughs> Even though I appreciate that. red, the Utes Unis <laughs> will still be ugly. I appreciate that. We had a lot of plays we broke down on. After further review, which you can see on the free BYU TV app anytime. So after tonight's show, you can go there and check that out. Um, we broke down a whole lot of plays. Maybe the most we've ever uh, been able to dissect in an hour uh, yeah. from the game Saturday night. And coming up, we're going to look at that Notre Dame game. We're going to discuss that fourth and one call. And we'll ask you, what call would you have made on fourth and one? Yeah, we're interested interested. We're not going to do that. Don't, don't answer that yet because yeah. we're going to get to that in Hang just a little on, bit. Darling. Hey, the SEC comes to Provo this weekend, have we ever had the SEC up here? I, Mississippi State. Okay, that's right. So and I think this coming. is only the second team that's ever come. So, so Arkansas is going to make its first trip to Provo and to BYU. Um, we'll have all the game details for you um, and, and, and talk through some of the things that are happening surrounding that game. We'll be your therapist. Uh, one of the greatest running backs in school history, Curtis Brown, is going to join us in a few minutes. We'll talk about the ground attack and some of his great memories running the football. Man, he was outstanding. Yeah, and guess what? If Curtis Brown was playing running back for BYU, their run game would be different. We've got a first down. If there was no other change other than Curtis Brown playing running back, it would be a different game. I'm telling you right we'll now. We'll have to ask him uh, by uh, the shape he's in today how he would how we do. Well, fare. no, not right now. If we just throw him in there behind that offensive Cur- Curtis line. Curtis looks good. I, I I just I I see him quite you know not all the time. But I see him once in a while. He he when they're in town, you know, he and his wife and the kids just typically stop by, but. Um, he would pull a hamstring if he tried to play right now. I'm just going to say that right out there. So, hey, and hey, one of the greatest basketball players in school history, Devin Durant, good friend uh, of ours, is going to join us. He's going to be live in the studio with us. Um, he, uh, 
as BYU gets ready for its final year of hoops in the WCC, we're going to talk basketball, some of his BYU basketball memories, and what his thoughts are on this version of BYU in the last year in the WCC. I asked Mark Durant. Uh, I tweeted him, and I said, hey, your brother's coming on tonight. What do you want us to ask him? Then I got all kinds of family questions we'll have to sift through. Uh, yeah, so thanks, Mark. Hey, if you don't follow Mark on Twitter, he's one of the most f- – I- He's a deep I, thinker. Oh, he, he's a deep but thinker. he's a deep, funny thinker. Yeah. So yeah. He's, fun to, he's fun to follow. Give Mark a follow if you don't. we got a lot of headlines we want to get to before uh, Curtis joins us here live tonight on The Wise Guys. Yeah, AP Top 25 poll is, is out. It comes out every Sunday afternoon for the first time in 14 weeks. Think about that. The Cougars fall out of the AP Top 25. They're four out. Teams just in front of them, North Carolina, Baylor, Coastal Carolina. Um, so they have to pass those three to get back into the top 25. The only opponent uh, for BYU on this year's schedule that's still in the top 25 is Oregon at number 12. So Notre Dame's out. I think know. if they beat Arkansas, they can get back in. I, 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 there's so much that's been going on every week. And yeah. I agree with you. I think a win over Arkansas, especially if it's fairly convincing, let's say they win by 10, I think they get back in. How about they play Play like a top 25 team, which yeah. they haven't done f- yeah. since beating Baylor. Yeah, hey, coming home and, you know, fixing some of the things they did wrong this last week and get and getting a win where they look good in all three phases um, would do a lot for everybody's confidence. But I, I I think there's a chance they get back into the top 25 after one week if they get a win over Arkansas. At 6-2, and two, or at, it would be at that point 5-2. and two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think they'd be back in. The game is sold out on Saturday. At Lavelle Edwards Stadium. That's going to be pretty cool. Let me give you the game day information. Uh, join us on BYU Sports Nation game day starting at 11.30 a.m. Mountain Time. There are the boys right there. Our two hours of live coverage will take us up to kickoff between BYU and Arkansas at 1.30 Mountain on ESPN. The live postgame show follows back on BYU TV. First time the Hogs have come to Provo, probably the last. Weather's going to be Perfect, and we'll be out there at Cougar Canyon for the first hour with everybody, and then we'll go into the stadium, our stadium perch. But uh, that's going to be a big show, a big fun show on Saturday in the sunshine and a, and a day game that we grew and, up in. And it's going to be just spectacular fall weather, so make, make sure. Hey, even if you don't have tickets to the game, there's no reason why you can't come down and enjoy all the festivities in Cougar Canyon. Yeah. And got food trucks and all kinds of there's stuff going band, on. There's a band. There's us. Come, come, yeah, come down and be there around, around stage. The show, you know, we're on and we're on live on television, but also it's on speakers all around, and you can, you know, come down and be yeah, part of it. Yeah, you don't have had for game ticket to come no, hang come out. come on down and hang out. That'd be fun. So uh, 70 degrees. It'll be. And Arkansas is a point and a half favorite. BYU opened a slight favorite, and then the money hopped over to the Hogs, yep. which I'm not surprised about. So... No, I, I think, hey, it, it's a toss-up game. Yeah. When we look at the talent, I, BYU at home at elevation, I think, is a big advantage. I think they're going to be angry this weekend. I think Scary Kalani is going to be the coach this Saturday. That's good because Halloween's coming. When, when Scary Kalani shows up, <laughs> BYU plays better. And then the uniforms, they're, they're going to have the white tops and white pants, but royal trim. Let's show you the picture here. Yeah. I, it's kind of cool. It's the, the this, first time I believe we've... This Change custom, the helmet. Custom painted royal helmet. So there's the one side. Yeah, there's that looks a y, normal. That Y on the left side. And then here comes the next. Here comes the other side. Yeah. Whoop, I, look at that. Yeah. It's it's like a, it's cougar. a growling cougar. Yeah. I don't uh, think we've ever messed with the helmet in my lifetime. That's to this extent. That's a pretty cool. And it's a white face mask, of course, with the white chin straps. Um, it's a pretty clean look. I think it's going to look cool. And then, um, then the hogs they're going to come in 
They'll be in red. Go suey. Um, red tops, white pants, red helmets. Are you going to wear your glasses uh, to the game so you can see that? I probably, I probably you actually will. You should bring them. I think em. I'm going to bring them. They're pretty cool looking too because they got they're like they look like mirrored sunglasses. But um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I, well, I I might do it just to be able to see the red in their unis. Yeah. Plus, you're going to want to see uh, what's in the sky. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we're going to have an F-35 flyover. Couple of jets, which, which is my favorite aircraft now. Yeah, because they come in low, they come in now, loud. Now that all the avionics have kind of caught up, and it's the it's the the, the best fighting aircraft in the world now. Um, so jets from Hill Air Force, they're going to buzz the stadium after the national anthem. F thirty fives. Is Clark our boy Clark Heyman going to? He's on a boat in North Carolina offshore. He texted me today, oh, so man. he's not going to be here. He's on. He's on. But uh, did he make sure that this happened though? Yeah, I said, hey, we all still good? And he goes, yep. But he goes, but I'm out. I've, I've turned it over to the other guys. And So for those of you that haven't followed it, Clark Heyman, who's a BYU grab, he coordinates these flyovers. Um, he, he's, uh, he's a big, let's just call him a big shot, right? He is a big shot. He's a major. Yeah. Just, he's a big shot. Flies, you know, flies multiple um, uh, fighter aircraft, but he coordinates all of that out of Hill Air Force Base. And he's, uh, he's going to make sure that those F-35s are flying over on time yeah, and precision. Cool. In and, the blue and, sky. and really, a day flyover like a night is okay because they can turn the afterburners on and you can see them and you can hear the noise. But the day is when you want to fly over, yeah, especially in front of a full house. And then yeah. the Cougs come so out, the fireworks in the stadium. Yep, should be a lot of fun. Cougars are four and six against teams from the SEC. First game was a 17-14 loss. Yeah, I remember at it number well. six Georgia in '82. You were there for yep. that one. We had a shot to win. Yeah, uh, our birthday boy Steve Young threw five five interceptions. Yeah, I was just text, uh, but he got just, over that. Just texting with Steve earlier. He got um, over that. Wishing him a happy birthday. It's Steve Young's birthday today. Everybody, wish Steve a happy birthday. Last game against the SEC was that double overtime thriller at Tennessee, when Zach Wilson and Micah Simon connected on that bomb. They kicked the field goal as time expires. Going to overtime, going to a double overtime, and Tyson Williams runs through the Tennessee defense. Mm -hmm. uh, just the fourth time Arkansas has actually played in the Mountain or Pacific time zone in the last 32 years. Yeah. And, and the and first since when's uh, 16. The last, when's the last time they played at approximately 5,000 feet? How, what is Fort Collins? They were at Fort Collins in Fort 2016. Fort Collins is, a, is like 5,200 feet. And then we're going there next year. Yeah, which BYU's I think is, I think is cool. That's a, that's a pretty good... Um, I, you know, I think it's a pretty good uh, uh, game to play. And if you're going to play a non-conference game against an SEC opponent, I think that's that's a good one to go back and play Arkansas. They're typically really good, but they're not in the top three in the SEC. You get a win against Arkansas, that's a big deal. All right, we've got uh, some details to get through. Curtis Brown is standing by. So before we get to Curtis, let's run through as much of this stuff as we can, including a schedule update. Right. So BYU is going to play at Liberty next Saturday in Lynchburg, Virginia. The game will kick off at 3.30 Eastern, so 1.30 out here in Mountain Time. It's going to be on ESPN2 or ESPNU. They haven't decided which of those yet. So our game day show, BYU TV's game day show, will begin at 1.30 Eastern, so 11.30 Mountain Time. Um, we, we think there's going to be a huge contingent, pretty oh, yeah. certain of BYU fans assembling for this one. So uh, next week on The Wise Guys, we'll visit with Amanda Cox who coordinates the alumni activities in and around the Virginia area. As we always do, we check in with the Alumni Association president in the area where BYU is playing. We'll talk to her about all of the activities surrounding the game for BYU fans and get you all ready to go. we got a lot. We've been to Virginia when they were playing the Cavaliers. Yeah. There are a ton of BYU fans be back so there. I expect a takeover of that stadium at Liberty. Flames are pretty good. I think they're 5-1. and one. No, they're good. And, um, they, and they, you know what? They're kind of... 
They've modeled what they're doing after BYU, yeah. and they, you know, old school BYU where they're just throwing the ball all over the place. So they're really fun, and they've got some talent. They've done a good job at, at Liberty. Women's volleyball at St. Mary's on Thursday at Pacific on Saturday. Big match coming up at uh, number four, San Diego, on October 21st. Cougars are 12th in the country now, 13-3, and and 6-0 and in the WCC. And then soccer, BYU hosts Portland on Saturday at 7 p.m. Mountain on the BYU TV app. Uh, that's a big one for the Cougars. Oh, yeah. BYU's 5-2-5 and overall and 1-0-2 and in the WCC. 5-2-5? and Yeah, I know. That's disappointing because they've got some talent. It's young talent. So uh, the, the rule changed that eliminated, eliminated overtime during the re- regular season. That's had a major impact on yeah, the Cougars. Five win. ties. Yeah, that's what, that's, that rule change has made it so we're going. That's why you're going, and five? Yeah. Five, exactly. five? five ties in a season. Yeah. Uh, softball, the weather's so nice. They're playing. BYU's going to host College of Southern Nevada Friday at 5 Mountain Time at Gale Miller Field as they work through the fall exhibition schedule. You can just show up and watch them. Yeah. Zabodnik's and, out there hitting the home runs. You want to see that? When we uh, when we came by on our way from uh, after further review tonight, we drove by the baseball stadium and the softball complex, both right there back to back. One another, music was playing. The baseball team was out there. It's like spring. And, and BYU's going to roll out their, their blue and white scrimmage on Friday night, six o'clock at Miller Park. The Cougars are going to host Utah on Saturday, October twenty second, and October 29th in a pair of exhibition games. They start at one at Miller Park. Admission is free. So hey, BYU went thirty two. Or 33, actually, yeah. and 21 last year. Trent Pratt, who was on Wise Guys a few weeks ago, he's getting ready for the first full season as the Cougars head coach. Remember, he took over midseason last year, and they had a nice little run down the stretch. So, so if yeah, if you're in Utah and you want to go sit in the sun and watch softball or baseball, that's going on. Yep. Men's basketball, BYU picked to finish their final year in the WCC, tied for third place with San Francisco, Gonzaga, is number one, St. Mary's number two. Sophomore hey, Fusini Traore. No surprise. No, yeah, surprise. no shocker there. <laughs> Traore named preseason all-conference. No surprise there either. BYU's going to scrimmage against Stanford on October 22nd in Santa Cruz, California, which will be interesting. They've got their blue-white scrimmage Wednesday on the 26th at 7. And then this Thursday night, Midnight Madness, 11.30 p.m. at the Marriott Center. They're going to have some activities and they invite the students to come over from the dorms and all that and hang out yep. with, the, with the men and the women. That'll be fun. It, I th- that scrimmage, when it came out, it, it, they, everybody acted like it was like a double secret kind yeah. of thing, and then it got out, and now it's just out. So. Now it's no secret. Yeah, so hey, in women's basketball, BYU's picked to finish third in the WCC behind Gonzaga and Portland. Lauren Gustin was named all WCC preseason first team. Uh, BYU went 26-4 and last year and 15-1 and in conference but they lost head coach Jeff Judkins and top scorers Shaylee Gonzalez to the transfer portal and Paisley Harding to graduation. That's a lot. Even if they just had Shaylee back, I think they'd be picked to win. I do too. I, I was surprised that so. they were picked third. I would have picked them second. Yeah, their their, their first ex, their first game is an exhibition game. They're going to play Westminster on October twenty seventh. Yeah, I, I'm actually surprised they're third. But but honestly, if Shaylee Gonzalez is coming back, who's the best Number player one. in the league? They'd be they'd be. A sure number one pick, but without her, you know, questions are out there. We'll see Mm. how they go in this first season. Cross country, ranked number one in the nation for the men. The women are number five. Both teams compete Friday in the Wisconsin Invitational in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, and and Ed Eystone's been a a good friend of ours and a guest on On our show. On Wise Guys. And uh, 
Man, does cross country have it rolling, both the men's and the women's side. Oh, yeah. Dominating program, one of the premier cross country programs when you combine men's and women's in, in the country, without doubt. Great, great, great cross country. So how about women's golf? Cougars finished up play today at the Dale McNamara Invitational in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They were tied for seventh place out of a field of 13. Really heavily, you know, talented field in this one they'll compete in the maryland smith sunflower invitational next monday and tuesday in lawrence kansas yeah that big 12 country that's where ku is that's where we're going to hang out for yep. generations to come uh upcoming guests next week david nixon will join us andrew george will be with us amanda cox from the alumni group from back in uh, the uh south the carolinas virginia area brandon doman back with us with steve cleveland former basketball coach in a couple of weeks and uh, talk to lemma harrington he's set for november 1st so fun, fun to have, have him there max hall's coming back on november 1st yeah. as well a couple of teammates next week when when we have nixon and, and george in here those are teammates that'll be fun be good our first guest tonight is number three all-time in rushing at byu finished his career with 3193 yards and 34 touchdowns he's also the first cougar running back to log back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. It's a pleasure to welcome the great Curtis Brown to the Wise Guys live from Fresno, California. Curtis, welcome to the How's show. CV, what's up? How are you guys? We're doing good. Hey, this isn't uh, confirmed, but we're assuming that you are the first and only running back in school history to be the father of triplets with your wife, Kim. How are the kids? They, they're doing well. I'm actually parked right outside of their practice. I got uh, roped into being their soccer coach. And so uh, you talk about a sport that's frustrating. You talk about games and ties and things like that. Uh, soccer is one that, yes, it, 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 a lot of ups and downs <laughs> and hoping, wishing for a score, you know, and I'm used to these, you know, 48 to, to 35 games. And so these one-to-one, one-to-zero games, it, it, it's it's definitely different. <laughs> How old are the triplets now, Curtis? Triplets are nine. And then I got Trey that's – he just turned eight in uh, uh, into July. So this is the triplets you're coaching in soccer, right? Well, so it's uh, the two older boys, so and then uh, my youngest. So my daughter, she's on her own team. Oh, so she, she's not she's – not, it's not co-ed anymore. They're old enough that they're no. playing – she she could have, but she said no. I don't want to be. She's a little bit more confident when she's with the girls. Oh, okay. The, the boys they're they're getting a little bit too physical here. Yeah, and at nine they're starting to spread out and run plays and do all of that, right? You know, I I, I think about when they're like five and six and you go to watch the game. It's like just a I call it the hive, like it's like a beehive of bees that just follow the ball around, right? Oh, okay. for sure. Oh, yeah. for sure. That that's that's what we look like our first game. I mean, I can I have to take responsibility for that. We only have two days to practice, and then they threw a game at us. And so, the the kids have been developing. But no, this is definitely a sport. I'm just using to help build my own character, help build a kid's character. But they're not expect. No, they will not be getting scholarships through through this program. For me. But it's gonna it's gonna prepare them later on. Hand. It's not hand eye, but foot. Uh, coordination, agility, ability to cut speed, endurance. There's so much to be learned from soccer that applies to other sports. You know, it's a good foundation, right, for whatever else they want to do. You know, Blaine, it, it, you, you hit the nail right on the head. You mentioned uh, one of the guests that's going to be on your show um, either next week or the week after, Steve Cleveland. Right. He uh, He's actually in our ward out here in uh, Clovis, California, and I actually saw him. He said to tell you guys hello, but uh, 
he was the first one to mention that to me. He said, you know, you think of all the sports out there that are great, just they're universal sports that they can just get you, get you fundamentally um, built up in all different kind of aspects. And he was like, it's soccer. You know, you're learning teamwork, you're learning hand-eye coordination and, and foot coordination. You're learning how to, to, to zone defense and, and agility. And so essentially that's the only reason I'm doing soccer this year is because of that. Are you going to let the, are you going to let the boys play football? What's your thought next on that? Year, next year, I'm giving them the green light. Um, Kim was mad at me because uh, she wanted them to do it this year. Oh yeah. But <laughs> I just, I just had this feeling. Uh, if I'm just being candid, like my kids have had it pretty easy um, in life. They haven't had too many trials. They haven't had any big disagreements. I mean, football, let's face it. It's a, it's a physical, I won't say violent, but it's an aggressive sport. And for kids, I think that's the biggest thing you learn is that part of the game is you might hurt someone else when you're running into them, when you're tackling somebody, yeah. whether you're on offense or defense. And so they might, I would just say my kids aren't used to getting hurt. And so I've taken them to a few practices and it's like, even the kids that are having do wonderful plays, they end up getting their hand stepped on or they hit their shoulder or something like that. And so I wanted them to have a chance to, cause I was like, my attitude is this. Once we commit to a sport, you're doing it, whether the whole year, there's no quitting in the middle. Right. And I didn't want them to go in one practice, then get rocked by somebody and be like, okay, I don't want to play football anymore. Cause <laughs> so you're toughening them up. Mother. You're toughening them yes. up. Yes. Yeah. So taking this year to, to be a little bit more hands on with just kind of developing that mental toughness right now. Um, they get a lot of, uh, they get tripped a lot in soccer and get their shins kicked. And, you know, I don't run and nurse them. I'm just like, get up, suck it up. Let's go. But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, good, good prep. Yes. I think they'll be ready to go next year though. All your old buddies. Uh, so like Nixon, Brian Keel, all those guys, Andrew George, Andrew, those guys, all of their kids play in this youth conference football and it's like their first or second year and they're all playing in fact, Keel and, and uh, Nixon's kids are on the same team. And uh, nope. these guys are all coaching. Yeah, it, it's funny because they tried it this summer. I was out there visiting and they were trying to, you know, talk me into it. And I just stood my ground. But I mean, then Brian goes and shows me him and, you know, Dave Nixon's son playing their flag football the year before. And I'm like, no wonder your kids are going to play football. They're like dominating. They're <laughs> running 80 yard touchdowns and the field's only 60 yards. I mean, it's like these guys are running circles. So, no. And I will tell you, I, I've been very impressed with just the, the sports programs in the youth sports programs in, in Utah. I think they do a wonderful job. Obviously, there's a lot of kids out there and they, they cater to that. And um, when you're out there, I definitely appreciate it more. You know, now that I have kids at that age, I, I, I appreciate just how how much that they put into these different programs. And so, yeah, no, I, I Definitely missing out on that being here in California, but I, I don't miss the upcoming months of freezing snow. On the <laughs> yeah, that's that's nothing to miss right there. You're you're right where you should be doing what you should be doing at soccer practice. We feel bad because we pulled you away from practice, but uh, we're certainly oh, no, glad. I'm, I'm glad. I, I told them this <laughs> this call went from you know five to, to seven o'clock at night. So I'm practice. <laughs> we got a lot to have football to talk uh, with you about. What what's uh, your reaction from the Notre Dame game? 
you know, obviously it's, it's disappointment. Um, you know, it, it was tough. I think Notre Dame, they, their strategy, I think it got in our heads a little bit. They slowed the pace down for us. Um, they were slow, methodical drives and obviously they hit some big plays, but I think that first half, if you just look at the compare, you know, time, time of possession, um, they dominated yeah. and they took their time and then they made sure that when they ran their plays, they executed. I think with BYU, we're used to running a high number of plays. And so those mistakes that we make, you know, we're doing some three and outs interceptions. They're easy to be erased because we're able to get some other plays in and, and make some things happen where, the first half was just too slow of a start, um, but I, I will. I, I'm extremely proud of the way they've bounced back in the second half. I mean, to go out there to to have. I mean, Epps is is really emerging himself as, as one of the top receivers and, and a playmaker. And so, uh, I think overall, um, you know, obviously it's disappointing, but they they demonstrated that they could compete and they could come back, and it, it's. They need these experiences. I mean, all this is in, in preparation for for next year, I believe, um, where that's going to be the, the toughness, level of toughness day in and day out. Yeah. And you're not going to have a couple, you know, gimme schools that you're going to go up against. Even the worst schools are going to be the most physical games that they've probably ever played. That's a great point in that new league. What's your thought on the running backs? So, so Chris Brooks, he, in this last game, he had 14 rushes for 90 yards. He had, had a couple of big ones. Um, you, you've got Brooks, you've got Lapini Katoa, Miles Davis, who was nicked up um, and, and should should be back this next week. What's your thought on those three? Those are the three that have gotten carries here to this point in the season. You know, it's interesting because they all have, you know, it seems that whenever they've been in the game, they all bring a different dynamic. Obviously, Katoa has the most experience from a BYU perspective. He's the most familiar, you know, with, with the offense. Um and, you know, I think with, with Brooks, he's just, I mean, I, I was out there this summer. It blew my mind how incredibly in shape these, these running backs are. These guys are some specimen. Um, Brooks, he's a physical runner. Um, I think the toughest thing going on right now, and I'm just, just being me to be candid, is that there's a big rotation. I mean, when you have running backs like that, everybody's trying to develop a rhythm. You don't want to have this mentality where I have to make every play a big play because I don't know when I'm going to be able to carry the ball next. And I think that was something that um, I remember feeling my, my sophomore year was we, we passed the ball a lot. And so there were games and times where I felt like I had to try to run and juke everybody. And it wasn't just about getting two or three, you know, strong yards. It was, it was like, I don't know when I'm going to carry the ball again. And so I think that's the, the challenge that we're seeing right now is even though those Running backs have shown, um, you know, flashes of greatness. Uh, there's just an inconsistency with their ability to, you know, carry the ball throughout, you know, four quarters of the game. So you'd like to see if it's Brooks, just leave him in there until uh, yeah. until you have to drag him off. Most definitely. If it's Brooks, leave him in there. If you're going to go with the two-back set, um, you know, and, and every scheme's different, you know, and every offense is different. I know that when I was playing – majority of our plays were two back systems it was either one or two running backs at minimum were going out for a pass as well and getting involved and so even if you know even if uh you know i wasn't getting the ball as a handoff you know fahu might be getting it at, at, at you know catching out of the basket backfield and i'll say you know fooey like there were ways to incorporate you know 
everyone into the offense. And so that's the difference right there is that even if these guys aren't necessarily running the ball, it's, it's catching the ball in the backfield. The more touches you get, the more familiar you get with the off, you know, with how things are going in, in the pace of the game. And I just think that's being out there is one of the most critical things. Um, it's, it's just hard to run onto the field, run a running play and then come back off and then go back on three plays later. It's a great point. Hey, Cur- Curtis, it's fourth and one late in that game. Now, when you were playing, they might turn around and hand you the ball, but you just mentioned you probably are going to have Manasseh in front of you plowing the road or Fui in front of you plowing the road or who else did you mention was there? Oh, there was Fahu, uh, Fui, and uh, and Manasseh. All three yeah. of those guys yeah. were, were big guys that could could lead block for you. Yep. Rarely did you get the ball running downhill in a fourth and one situation when you didn't have another back right in front of you clearing the road, right? No, no. I mean, it, it's it, you want you want to have as many blockers as possible, and even you know even those 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 fullback can be decoys at times because typically what you'll have is if you see a fullback, there's a there's a middle linebacker that's going to try to meet him right in the middle of the hole, um, and sometimes you can just make them you know with your eyes make them think you're going in one direction and then you cut off the, you know go the opposite. I think it's Definitely having a fullback there adds another dimension of, of security and, and opportunity to kind of say, hey, I can either follow him directly in or depending on how hard the defense flows, I can go opposite. So what play would you have called? Let's say you're the offensive coordinator. It's fourth and one. You just ran three straight plays and uh, you've got to go into the end zone and you got to get a two-point conversion to tie the game. And you're sitting at what the 27 yard yeah, line? It's fourth and one. Fourth and one of the 27. What would he? What would you have done? I've been saying this for the last seven years, and hopefully today somebody actually hears me. There needs to be a design draw play, quarterback draw, where only Jaron knows it's a draw. You run a whatever passing route you need to run, where they're running 10, 12 yard routes. He drops back. He makes it look like pass all the way. And all of a sudden he says, you know what? I'm going to tuck it and run. When, when I remember when Riley Nelson was our, our quarterback, he goes off on Utah State. He has this amazing game. And all of a sudden it's like we needed to build a, a, a quarterback draw into like every game plan. The challenge was is that he would hold the ball for two seconds and then he, you know, we show that he's running. And the, the thing about Riley was he was awesome when it was like, okay, the play broke down. There's nothing available. Okay, now I'm going to run. And that's what makes these running quarterbacks so effective is not only, you know, look, you look at Lamar Jackson, it's like he can get a lot of yards just by dropping back. Nothing's available. Okay. I'm going to take off. And I think that's what should have happened. And it's one of those things where it just, it's, it's a communication between, you know, coach Roderick and, and Jaron saying, Hey, this is the key word that when you hear this, you know, that you're going to be running with the ball, but make every receiver think that they're running a route and that they could potentially get it because the reality is if we run a design run, it's going to show when the offensive line starts blocking downfield, when they pull their, their, you know, and, and I've just always been a fan of, Hey, let a quarterback just have the freedom to run what he wants to and not necessarily have it be a direct call to play. It's, it, it's interesting. We were talking earlier today on our after further review show CB and I, and I said, philosophically I feel like when the biggest play in the game is is coming up you decide who the 
the player you want to have the football in their hands is who you trust is going to make a play the most. And, hey, when the Kansas City Chiefs have a fourth and one, they're they're saying, you know what, we're putting in – we're going to put in Patrick Mahomes' hands. Yep. And we're going to give him some options and let him make, and Kelsey's going to be and one make of a them. play. Yeah. Kelsey's going yep. to be an option, right? Um, and so I just feel like in a fourth and one, I, I, I want to go, okay, well, guess what? When I have Tyler Algier and he has 1,700 yards rushing, that is my best guy on the field at that yes. point, right? But but I don't have Tyler Algier, who starts in the NFL. And so I, I feel like right now, when it's in that situation, I want to see the ball in Jaron's hands. And whether it's a bootleg pass with a run-throw option or a zone read where he has the option to give it to the running back or make the read and pull it and keep it himself, or an option like we saw him run earlier in the game where he comes down the line of scrimmage on an open option and he challenges the end and either keeps it or pitches it out. That's the guy I want to have the ball on fourth and one. I want who I think is my player that's going to make the best decision and who's going to have the best chance to make a big play to have the ball. Then I'll decide what play I'm going to run. I'm going to decide the guy I want to have the ball. Then I'm going to decide what play best suits that. And and our our great friend Devin Durant just came in. Hey, if Devin is playing basketball at BYU and, Um. and the game's on the line and we're down by one and we have eight seconds left, I promise you I know who I'm drawing up a play for. I'm drawn to play for Devin. Now, Devin's going to have an option that if he, he if he's going to the front of the rim and three guys collapse on he's him. He's still shooting. He, no, he's still, no. He's shaking he, his head He right has there. the option to kick it. He, he's probably just going to go, I don't care about these three guys. I'm just going to finger roll it right over the top of him. But do you know what I mean? Like, everybody knows Michael Jordan's getting a shot at the end of the game. But, but Michael Jordan's still getting a shot at the end of the game. And it's up to Michael whether or not he's going to kick it to the outside to – yeah. Packs or whoever, right? Uh, who's going to kick yep. it to? And so, so that's just philosophically the way I think about big plays and big games, no matter what sport it is. I want the ball in the hands of the person that I think has the best chance to make a play. Is that does that resonate with you? Oh, it does. And when you said that, it just made me think of BYU this year. And you think of Jaron and his journey into where he is now. I mean, he dealt with some, you know, some injuries earlier on in, in his career, and so. Part of him going through, you know, what he went through in the past is so that he could be in the position he's in today. He's the most consistent player on that field from an offensive perspective. It was like, you think about the talent that this, our, you know, BYU has, but guys have been banged up. He's been the most consistent piece of the puzzle all year long. And so, you know, as you were talking, I'm thinking, I'm like, who is that guy that right for this year? I mean, I know when... You know, I was playing, there was times where, okay, well, Johnny Harlan was our guy for, you know, Austin Colley, Harvey Younger. Like, you knew based on this Tyler Algeo, perfect example. I mean, Tyler, um, I, it blows my mind how physical of a, a runner he was and just play after play, he just kept on getting back up. Um, but we really haven't had that this year. I think Epps has done a really great job of stepping up. He's emerging, uh-huh. right? Yeah. But I don't even think – it's funny. I think he just steps up. He takes advantage of the plays that are given to him. But, like, it got to a point where Austin Colley was so dominant that, like, they put him in a position to get the ball. You know, and it was kind of like whatever play we need, whether we have him go in motion, whether we play him wide out, whether we have him play slot. And I think it's going to get to that point where the coaches say, you know what, we need to start find, identifying guys that we just know are constantly and consistently going to, you know, make plays for us. And we start – 
kind of catering to that. I know obviously every offense likes to do a system where anybody can step in, but I think as you, you look at it, I mean, there are star guys within every program and we, we got to get to that point where it's like, Hey, we know who it's going to. And it doesn't matter if they know, because he's going to dominate. I mean, Notre Dame's tight end is a perfect example. Oh, amen to that. (laughs) They highlighted him on TV. And then literally like two plays later, he catches the touchdown. And it's like, he's this guy. I mean, it's like, Puka, Puka's supposed yeah, to be and, that guy. And Puka had kind of emerged as that guy, but he just hasn't been healthy. So he yeah. hasn't been able yeah. to be that guy, right? But your point on their tight end is a great point because everybody this week's like, why can't you stop that guy? And I'm like, because he's the best tight end in the country. Like, nobody can stop him. Alabama doesn't stop him. Like, oh. nobody stops him. Like, you, they try to bracket him. He's just too big and too strong. And as long as the quarterback puts it in a good spot, he makes a play. There's only so you can't yeah. put five guys on him. Right. And so he know. and here's the thing. He knows he's the guy, too. And that makes a difference. You talk about That's, Austin. Uh, Austin knew he was the guy. And it's like, yeah, I am the guy. Austin, Austin knew he was the guy before the coaches knew he was. The guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a and great as long point. as Max knew, he knew he was the guy. Yeah, he was like, yeah. Max, by the way, that plays for me. Yeah. But, hey, Max, <laughs> well, I know you I, think I you're care. the guy, but I'm the guy. <laughs> But I'm the guy. The great Curtis Brown is with us on the Wise Guys tonight. Before we take a quick walk down uh, memory lane, um, let's start with this one. You, you set the rushing record at BYU in 2006. Harvey Unga broke it in 2009. Jamal Williams broke Unga's record in 2016. And then Tyler Algier, as you mentioned, left school early to join the Falcons. Or he may have broken Williams' record. He has the single season mark. But how does it feel to be a part of that group even after all these years? I mean, once you're almost fourth on the list, third, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to hang on by a thread. It feels like, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, I'm just proud of the decision I made at a a young age to take a chance on, on BYU because they took a chance on me. Um, I never expected, I don't think anybody, I don't care who you are. Uh, maybe in college basketball, it's a little bit more predictable, but I think in, in college football, you see all the time, these guys that are these highly ranked players out of high school and they go to the school and they're there for a couple of years and they end up transferring because things aren't working out. And I can honestly tell you, I never expected that the, I'd have the career I had at BYU, but I'm grateful. There were so many things that had to fall into place for that to take place, but I, you know, I'm just truly humbled and grateful. And then to to see the the talent and, and the, the type of guys that we've been able to recruit to to BYU since I've left, it's to me, that's what I'm most proud of. And that's one of the things I took a lot of pride in when I was, a you know, would be hosting these recruits was just forget what people on the outside are telling you. I mean, it, it, BYU is a special place. And if you're focused on getting a great education, if you're focused on having a great football experience and, and getting exposed national exposure. And at the end of the day, the coaches are straight up. If they believe that you're going to be the guy, they're going to do everything they can to help you be the guy. Um, and I think that that can't be said at a lot of colleges where kids are promised the world. And then all of a sudden a year and a half later, the coach transfers and it's like, Oh, well, figure it out somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm proud of those guys. I'm, I'm, you know, look at Ty, you know, Tyler wasn't even a, a member of the church. And I, I assumed he was for the longest time, but just he he knew what he wanted out of life. He knew what he wanted out of the program and was, was willing to walk on. 
and and demonstrated that he deserved to be a scholarship guy and now he, he's making big plays in the NFL. Yeah. Curtis, when, when you were getting recruited, how, how difficult was that um, to make the decision to come? I mean, how much did you know about the culture at, at BYU and what that was going to be like? You were, you were kind of taking a chance to come. Oh, what, what, what made you really? go, it's worth the chance? Um, I'll be honest with you. I, it, when I took my trip out to BYU – um, I just basically got, uh, kicked to the curb by Washington state. I was supposed to take a trip out there and then it fell through. They offered too many scholarships. And then, so BYU came the following week and it was more of like, you know what? I'm just happy that somebody's still interested in me. But then as leading up into the weekend, I, I went to a Catholic high school and I, I will say that the Catholics had some funny stories to say about, you know, the, the LDS, <laughs> the LDS church. And so I was a little bit nervous as an 18 year old kid or, you know, 17, about to be 18 years old, about to go on a trip. I was like, dad, you're going with me, right? You're going to be with me. Right. I'm like, <laughs> no, but it was one of those things where once I got out there, once the moment I stepped off the plane, um, I could just, I could tell something was different just being in the airport. You know, you go from an airport in L.A. to an airport in Salt Lake City, and it's just it's cleaner. It's nicer. The language that's being used, the the, the respect people are showing you. Um, and then to 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 arrive on campus, I mean, Kalani Sataki and, and Aaron Roderick were my grad assistants at the time. And so they were the one they were, they were the first people I met at BYU. Um, and so to me, to, the first thing they did, they like get inside the stadium and it was it blew me away. And so. Yeah, I took a chance, but it was it was a little bit familiar being in a private school in high school. Um, I was used to being a, a you know a minority in a predominantly you know white school, and so that wasn't nothing new to me. Rules and expectations that wasn't anything new to me, um, and you know it was humbling because I realized that these guys could play. I thought oh BYU nobody you know can play out in Utah kind of thing, and I was quickly humbled. I mean there there's some there's some freaking athletes out in utah and i think now nationally it, it's it's recognized let me throw two names at you george curtis the trainer and matt barry your quarterback what impact did those two have on your life on um, my life is forever changed number one because of george uh curtis the i mean that man is is just truly he, he will forever have a, a strong place in my heart. Um, he saw something in me years before I saw it in myself. Um, you know, he used to always see, whenever he saw me, he's like, you know, you'd make a great Mormon. You just need to add water. And for some reason, it just didn't click to me. It was like, I'm a plant. Like I'm going to grow into like, <laughs> I didn't realize until after that I was talking about baptism. You know, it was, just, it was one of those things like, like, oh, they're having, you know, we're going to the steak center. I literally remember thinking the steak center was a restaurant. Uh, I mean, it's like just some of these things that just never really clicked until you become a member. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. But, you know, George, uh, he he always saw something special in me. And, you know, it it, it took me kind of having a, a bad semester. I was redshirting that year and had a was having a tough year in school. And, you know, he, he'd come up to me and. He just said, hey, how you doing? Checking in and we'd love to have you over for dinner and, and we'd love to, to, you know, invite you to it was like a Boy Scout activity. And I was like, no, I'll take you up on it. And so um, started 
getting introduced to the missionaries and he had me over for dinner and met with some of the other former players that had played at BYU. And it was like, he, he brought me into the culture and he exposed me to all these guys, Ty Detmer and, and Jamal Willis and, and Brandon Dome and Gabe Reed, these guys that just were great examples, you know, Chad Lewis guys that were great examples, great role models in, in not only the church, but also as part of the football program and, you know, being around that circle of guys and then obviously having Matt on my team, it was kind of like, Matt's the big stud. He's the, he's the QB. I, I, man, if he's inviting me to church, I'm there. I mean, you know, he, he's Matt has the ladies and this and that. And so I was like, you know what? <laughs> I want to go, I want to hang with that guy. And the fact that he was willing to take me under his wing and, and, you know, allow me to, to, you know, go to church with him. It, it, it really, it really just helped shape kind of like, the person I am today. So when you asked Matt to baptize you, what was that moment like? You know, it was, it was one of those things where, um, I just thought it was expected. Cause it was like, Hey, you've kind of been like my big brother through all this. I didn't realize that like I was taking, like, I think he thought that I was, you know, the missionaries were going to do it. And I just thought like, dude, well, you're the one that's been there. You've been answering all the questions and, and helping me through and, you know, but he was, uh, he, he, he was truly humble. He was, he was excited about it. I mean, he made me excited about it. Um, you know, the night before I got baptized, uh, I was starting to have some, some, some doubts. And so he's like, Hey, I'll, I'll be there in 15 minutes. He comes, picks me up. We don't say a word. He drives me to the temple. We park in front of the Provo temple. I look out to my window to the right I look out to the left and there's this guy there's couples on both sides of us talking and I'm like see these people are talking about marriage I'm assuming they're trying to say are you the <laughs> one this and that and me and here me and Matt are sitting here like it's a a, a first date or something so it was kind of <laughs> awkward at first I was like what are we doing here um but he said you know this is where I come you know to to, to think to, to to process to, to get connected to, to the Lord and make sure that he's like, I'm not here to tell you one way or the other, but I think it's just special for you to be here and, and to, you know, get whatever answers you need. And so, no, he, he's always been a, a great example to me. Um, and yeah, it, without, without him and his willingness to be uh, a friend to me and to help me along. No, I don't, I don't know where I'd be. Mm, that's quite a story. That's awesome. Awesome stuff. And CB, we, we got to know CB really well. We, we loved when he was up here because Curtis, Brian Keel, our son Kellen, and Bryce were like, this is a power room, right? Yeah. A power apartment. Yes. Those, those yeah. four room together. And, uh, man, if you, just wanted, if you just wanted energy, all you had to do was go visit the boys at the apartment, and it was, <laughs> it was energy. You know, I will tell you, okay, and, and I make, it makes – I will say – it was funny because they, they told me, the boys told the, I remember Kellen and Corby telling me later, like, yeah, we talked to Thomas Stansel, who was your roommate, and he said that you were, you were mean and you yelled a lot and you got mad. I was like, yeah, I got mad a lot because they were always stealing my food. I wake <laughs> up and all of a sudden there's all these rappers in Thomas Stansel's room. I'm like, did you eat my pizza? He's like, no, I didn't eat your pizza. <laughs> um, and so they're like, yeah, we were kind of apprehensive at first. We didn't know what kind of roommate you would be. Um, but literally, that was my first exposure. My second year at BYU, that was my first exposure. I was registered in that time, um, having all, you know, LDS roommates. And so, um, I mean, 
Corby and, and, and Callen and Spencer White, they're, they're all, they're all married now and, and have wives. But I mean, they, they used to get the ladies. So I was like, man, I'd, I'd be <laughs> in my room. And all of a sudden I'd like hear people giggling. And I come out of the living room, like, Oh, they have girls over again. No. So to me, that was the first like experience I had, because I'll be honest, my freshman year, I had non LDS guys on my team. All of us were from California. We kind of kept to ourselves I Had a girlfriend back home and, I'd go home every month to, to visit her, and I was like, I'm just playing football, going to school, getting out of here. Yeah. Uh, that's and right. I forgot, year, I forgot that you had Spencer and Corby there with you. Yes. That's that's yeah. right. That's a, that's a, What a great crew. Yeah, and so to me, it was it was cool to actually be around all the – and that's when it finally was like, okay, these guys are normal. These guys are like, they're cool. It, it's just – it was like, I get it. Like, And no, so it was it was one of those things where I think – having that normalcy and having, I mean, we're still friends today, still close friends today. of just like, you just let down your guard. Like, okay, these people accept me for who I am. Um, you know, and obviously I, I've, I've had to, to shape up in some aspect, you know, aspects of my life, but, uh, no, they, they've always been loving and caring to me. And so to me, it was like, I didn't have to change who I was. And once I realized that that's when I was like, I think that's when I opened myself up to like hearing, hearing the gospel. Curtis Brown is with us on The Wise Guys. Devin Durant coming up here in just a bit. It's a big Tuesday night show. Uh, our podcast will be out tomorrow. You can catch that as well. Uh, follow us on YouTube and, and Twitch and uh, wiseguys.com. And, and we're bringing Cougar fans all over the world together on a Tuesday night. Let's go back to August 29, 2002. First touchdown run of your career against Syracuse. Do you remember it? briefly <laughs> well it was one yeah, yard I, it had to be brief it was one yard yeah it was <laughs> it was yeah it it went by but i would tell you i mean like it's crazy because i think about all the games i was probably the last one that i remember like you would think it'd be the most the one that stands out the most and so you're for the first time you actually made me think back to it i'm like it was I remember telling myself on the run, like, man, if I score, it's just a one yard touchdown. Like it wasn't like that it was a huge run and I'm not going to be get too excited about it. But then when I scored and I heard the roar of the crowd, Oh, trust me. I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, I was like super excited. And I think you try to play it down. Like, you know what? It, it's just a one yard, but I mean, it's, it's that experience that we all, you look forward to. I mean, you dream of as a high school, you dream of as a, as a little kid of just being able to, have 65,000 fans cheer for you. Um, and it, 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 you just appreciate, it makes you appreciate the small things. Yeah. And so it was, a, it was definitely one of those where it's like, okay, th this, that felt right. But let, let's, let's appreciate the big things then. Cause that was a small thing. just a one yard touchdown. Let's fast forward a few months, October 4th, same year, um, Utah state. And, 217 yards on 33 carries. Uh, you guys were down 34 to 7 at halftime. You Blaine and I, by the way, Blaine and I were calling we this game. This That's game. how young we are. We were Th calling yeah, this game. 35 34, you guys come back and win. And then everybody's like, who is this dude? Holy cow. I mean, you burst onto the scene. I think people all realize this dude's here to run the ball. All right. How, tell us about that game it, and how that felt. It. It's funny. So leading up to that, we had a bye week prior and you guys probably remember like this was when 
they were it was possible that Ben Olsen was going to yeah. be possibly yeah. going to take over. You know, the the big number one recruit in the nation that year, freshman, going to take over. And so we had a bye week. And, and, and so fact, there was a lot fact, of media. Curtis says, we prepared for that game. We were told yeah. we were going to see Ben Olsen that night. We just didn't know if yeah. it was going to be in the first quarter, second quarter. So, so yeah, that was in the air. So I will tell you that no one was more shocked to get the ball, you know, know that I got 33 carries than me. Like, I'm thinking, <laughs> especially, you think about it now, any team you're ever down by, you know, 27 points, the chances of you continuing to run the ball, like, highly unlikely. And it was it was depressing. I'll be I'll be honest. Thirty four to seven, you know, it's thirty four to seven and a half. We go in there and we're just in the locker room, just like, man, we, it just quiet. It's like I mean, and the coach is saying, oh, we can come back. We got to figure. It. I'm like, and I can tell you, time and time again, we always hear that. I don't care if you're down by fourteen or twenty eight. The coaches are always like, we got a chance, but I'm like, yeah, but that chance is really small. Um, kind of like my fantasy football record this year. It's horrible. <laughs> but it's like, you got a 1% chance of coming back. No, but uh, but just slowly, little by little, things started to click. Yeah. Things started to click. And I think at the end of the day, we were just kind of like, dude, we have nothing else to lose. Like, let's just go for it. And so my goal was just to run hard. I knew that Marcus, uh, you know, Whalen was dealing with the injury and he'd probably be back the following week, which he did come back the following week. But I was just like, let's just take advantage of it. You never know. And and I just did that. And I it's one of the greatest memories I have. It's it was exciting, one of the best wins of all time for me. And but just yeah, truly just humbled and grateful just to be part of that team. Well, that was a packed stadium. It was a wild yeah, night. It was fun. Conference weekend, a big audience and uh Yeah. And you put on a you put on a show. How about a couple years later, October 29th, two thousand five? 219 yards rushing. That's a career high. Four touchdowns, another career high against Air Force in a 62-41 to 41 defensive struggle. You know, I will tell you. <laughs> 62 um, points is spanking somebody. <laughs> Give it up, you know, 41. It, you needed 62. I, nothing against you know, our servicemen, but I will tell you, Air Force, <laughs> man, those guys, I was, yeah, they, they talked so much trash. They were like, they, I don't know. I mean, it was just one of those things where I was like, he was struggling, but I was, we were happy to run all over them. I mean, I think our O-linemen outweighed their defensive line by a hundred pounds each. Like it was like, it was just one of those things. Yeah. Defense wasn't working, doing great, but like offensively we were clicking on all cylinders and just, man, no, they're, they're a scrappy team. And I mean, I feel like that's what it kind of takes. I mean, these guys that come in and on, on paper, you look at their size compared to a Notre Dame or, you know, uh, even a Syracuse, and you're just like, dude, these guys are tiny. But they're scrappy and they're feisty and they get in your head and they, they're physical and they don't take anything from anybody. And so, you know, there was a couple times where they're chirping and they're going after you. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to take it to this guy. But, I mean, that's the thing at the end of it. It's like the moment that fourth quarter ends, there's nothing but love and respect for those guys and, and appreciation for what they do and their sacrifice for us. And so um, – but no, it was just another great win. Let's go to December 21st, 2006. We're playing Oregon in the Las Vegas Bowl, and nobody's given, everybody's going, Oregon's athletes will run circles around BYU. There's no way this BYU team's going to match up. And you guys took it 
to the Ducks in that one. It was You left no doubt. In that game, you have 120 yards and two touchdowns. 38-8 win against the Ducks in, in, in a game where you weren't supposed to win. Yeah, so, I mean, it, there was a lot of pressure, and maybe it was put on by myself, maybe it was put on by me, media, because it was like, hey, can you have a back-to-back 1,000-yard season? And I was at like 960-something yards. I had gotten kind of shut down by Utah the previous, even though we ended up winning that game, or, you know, last game of the season, like, only like 60 yards rushing, and everybody was like, man, you talked so much trash that game. And I was like, no, I definitely did. Um <laughs> But yeah, they're like, are you going to get, you know, a thousand yards this season? And at the time, I'm just like, you know what? I just want to play hard. I just want to win. Um, it was a little bit of a revenge game for me. I love, you know, I can look back now. I'm like, hey, Gary, I love you. You get, you know, Gary Croden. But at the time, I'm like, man, like, I wish you would have appreciated me more while I was there. So, like, to be able to to to, to thump them, um, it was a great it was a very satisfying and rewarding feeling. We, we um, need to tell people that Gary Crone was the offensive coordinator at Oregon at that point, right? Yes, he was. He was. And I remember seeing him before the game, and he's like, oh, I always thought you were special this and that. But, you know, I still think back to the times where he passed it 60-something times against UNLV and ran it eight times, and it was like average 12 yards rushing. But, yeah, we threw it 60-something times, ended up losing by eight or nine points. I couldn't remember the exact score, but – I just remember thinking to myself, like, you know what? I want to I want to leave my mark. I want to leave no doubt that, like, hey, you know, I, I made the most of my opportunities and that, I, you know, I deserve to, to, to be somebody that, you know, teams could go, you know, players could go to or count on in, in the, the clutch. And so, yeah, I mean, regardless of whether Oregon was number one, four or five in their conference, I think at that time, the Pac, you know, Pac-10 assumed that they were always better than Mountain West. And so we wanted to demonstrate, like, regardless of who we play, we can compete. Let's finish with this one. This is the toughest question of the night. Yes. And then, uh, then we'll hit you yeah, up with we'll five, five uh, questions. Yeah. Five super fast ones. But um, uh, you got you got Beck, Brown, and Harleen against Hall, Unga, and Pitta. If BYU has to drive 80 yards to win a game, which trio scores first? Ooh. Wow. John Beck, Curtis Brown, and Johnny Harleen against Max Hall, Harvey Unga, and Dennis Pitta. Oh. I'm not, I'm gonna have to say we're gonna score first. I mean <laughs> big shock. I mean let's face it, I mean Johnny Harleen was just he he's catching anything and everything. I mean, it's just he's one of those guys where like I know Max has the big arm, Austin. He's going to go out there. But I just, I mean, you look at, I, I if it's a competition, I'm, I'm not going to, we, we're not losing anybody. So that, that, that's my <laughs> that's, attitude. That's like, why they won a lot of games right that's there. That's exactly right. And, and Curtis also <laughs> just, that story about Oregon told us that Curtis says it's okay to play with a chip on your shoulder too. Yeah. If, if it takes that to, to motivate you. So play with a chip. And play with confidence. That's the message. No, I mean, hey, when Max comes on with us in a couple of weeks, we'll ask him that same question and yep. see if he yes. see if he agrees. Now, Curtis and those guys would do it first. But you saw at least I hesitated and thought about it beforehand. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just automatic. You know, I wanted to show respect because those are some great. I mean, those, that, that's some great talent. I thought he showed respect. You yeah, think? he was respectful. You know, the pause was respectful. The adversity we had to go through. You know, we had, <laughs> we had a few losing seasons we had to go through. You know. They turn it around. Took away uh, USC's wins. 
you know, we couldn't even go to a bowl game by then. It was so it was like, I remember, you know, they're like, oh, USC had all this happen. We're going to take away their wins. I'm like, had they taken away the win actually during the season, we would have been in a bowl game. So, yeah, yeah right. there you, you go. Come along. Well, that's a, that's a good answer on that one. That, hey, I got to tell you, though, that matchup between with Johnny Harleen one-on-one against Weddle where they just matched up that whole game yeah. in that Utah game. Oh, my goodness. That was two great players going against each other. Good I stuff. mean, it, it, see, that's the perfect example of why we win. I mean, Eric Weddle, there is no doubt he has left his mark on the college level, on the NFL level, as one of the best defensive backs it, it, to, to ever walk the earth. And the fact that, you know, Johnny Harleen posterized him on a cup <laughs> that he, I still probably have somewhere where he's catching that ball over him, I'm like, yes. I mean, if I'm Johnny, I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to frame that cup. I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to do a fat head with it because, you know, Eric Weddle is is a stud. He's a specimen, and the fact that Johnny was made, able to to hold his own. Um, oh yeah, Johnny went to toe, Johnny went toe to toe with yeah. Weddle in that game. That was one of the great individual matchups of any game we've ever been involved. That was amazing. Yeah. So, Curtis, we're going to come at you fast with yep. five quick questions, and we need five yeah. quick answers. Yeah, you just don't even think; you just answer. Because that's okay. why it's called five quick questions. So, all right. right. And let me okay. just say, Devin's looking at us. Those questions are coming at you here. Yeah, but we, we we tailor the last couple. Yeah. Specific. So, <laughs> first one: your favorite sports movie. Favorite sports movie? Uh, remember the Titans. Yeah, that's the same as everyone. That's the same as Caroline, Landon, Gavin, all of them. So, remember the Titans. I like it. Favorite singer or band? Uh, Justin Bieber. Oh, this is really has Justin anybody Bieber. chose the Biebs other no, he than is not. CB so far? You stand alone. I'm a believer. I am a believer. <laughs> I, I like the Biebs. I yeah. I think he's yeah. crazy yeah. talented. Discovered by none other than Usher himself. So, yes. favorite breakfast cereal? Tricks. Tricks are not for kids. Tricks are for adults. No, yeah. Yes, tricks, they are. Tricks are for kids, and sometimes for <laughs> tricky rabbits. Nice that's what we, that's <laughs> what we need to know. So, favorite running back, any level. Favorite running back any level of all time. Oh, you you threw me off when you said of all time. Favorite running back all time is Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams of all time. He's also the NFL's leading. Uh, he leads rusher the, for the touchdowns. touchdowns right now. He'd be a good fantasy guy. I think Taysom's a better fantasy guy right now, but well, he was last oh, week. Oh, he's allowed to play running back right now. It would be Taysom if he was playing running back right now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right, now think about this one. Yeah, your favorite BYU memory doesn't have to be football. Your favorite BYU memory, period. Uh favorite BYU memory. Um, marrying my wife before my senior year. Ah, Kim is your favorite. She's, Good answer. She's she's your yes. favorite memory, so she's the favorite thing. But she's also your current and your future. Yes, I love Kim. Yeah. She knows that too. Plus, she gave you half a soccer team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that's literally that's what it is. It's yeah. <laughs> hey, she's the best. We appreciate your time. Uh, we hope you come back on with us. The great uh, Curtis Brown, fantastic career, even better life, and. Such a great representative of BYU and and uh, and everything the place stands for. Thank you uh, for being on the Wise Guys tonight. No, thank you guys. Thank CB, you. so glad to have you. When are you are you guys getting to Utah at all for any games this fall? You know, we are probably going to go to the Stanford game. Oh, over in Stanford, you're not coming to Utah yes. at all, huh? Uh, you know, 
being the head coach of this nine-year-old soccer team is a pretty busy deal. You know, it's got it's you locked nickname. down. We get it. Well, yeah. you know, when you guys come over, you know if you don't stop by the house, we're going to be mad. So just make sure you guys oh, get over sure. there. No. So no, well, And say say hi my to the kid, My kids, the funny thing is my kids look forward to going to your house, Blaine, more than they look forward to going to my cousin, or their cousins. Like, can we go to the house with the bounce bounce house? It's like uh, Disneyland they, over they, there. We had all the grandkids over. We had a bounce house <laughs> the last time Curtis and Kim came by. And so we just... They did, we just they were it was a bounce house with a water slide and everything on it. So they think that that Mimi and Papa, which they call us, they think that it's always a bounce house and fun. It always house, is. I'm is, over there all the time. It's a circus. By the over way, there. that's the reputation we're going for. That's the one we're going for. <laughs> yeah, we're, I mean, he Blaine used to have an ice skating rink in his backyard. Yes, we did bounce ice. You know. Yep. We we skated. Uh, no, the, like Curtis, you appreciate because we do this with Curtis's kids too. Like we give yeah. them candy when we're not supposed to and all that. And Kellen says to us one time. He says, "Dad, you can't you can't give her that right now. It's like nine thirty at night, and we're we're leaving. We're trying to get him to bed." And I'm like, oh, "Kellen, you know what? That's not my problem." <laughs> I said, "I'm the grandfather. I'm the papa. Like my job is to is to be the nice guy. If you want to discipline those kids, that's fine. But that's not my deal. Sorry." Yeah, yeah. He just looked no. at me, and we do the same thing with Curtis, Curtis and Kim's kids too. That's like awesome. we're the papa and the mimi. Our job is to spoil them, and that's we love that role, don't we, Curtis? Oh, for sure. No, it, <laughs> I mean that's the thing. That's the funny thing is you've created these great memories, so yeah. that's what it's about. Hey, go well, over there to practice and run the squad, run, uh, run that for another team. half hour, and give our best to the Cleveland. Yeah. Steve will be on here with us in we, a couple weeks. We love you guys, and, awesome. and, and give Steve and Kip our love too. So, all right, thank you. I will see you, Stevie. Right. Curtis Brown. Number four all-time in rushing at BYU with a tremendous story on the field and off of it. And uh, we're going to invite Devin Duran over to take this seat. Before we do, DJ, will you put up our after further review graphic? Um, and we remind you that AFR next week, we're going to go hog wild because we've got Arkansas in town. We'll break down the Razorbacks and then we'll preview the October 22nd showdown at Liberty back in Lynchburg, Virginia. You can watch AFR starting Tuesday night at 5 Mountain Time, 7 Eastern, and then you can see it any time after that on the free BYU TV app. Hogwild next week on After Further Review. Our next guest tonight is number 5 all-time in scoring in the history of BYU basketball. We had the number 4 rusher. Now we've got the number 5 scorer. Started every game of his four-year career with a break in the middle to serve a church mission, then led BYU to three WAC championships, three NCAA tournaments, selected 23rd overall by the Indiana Pacers in the 1984 NBA draft, also played in Europe. It is a pleasure to welcome the great Devin Durant to the Wise Guys. Thanks for coming. Oh, it's great to be here with you. Thank you, gentlemen. This is an intimidating uh, outfit, I'm sure, as, as we watch you come in. And, <laughs> and, uh, but we just sat with Curtis Brown, and, and it's amazing how many amazing people come through BYU. Yeah, well said. Hopefully we get to talk about a few of them as we, as we move forward uh, tonight because <clears throat> uh, it is. It's, it's a place where young people enter there and, and the, the different growth that takes place. And, and then the lives that they live post, post-graduation, uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. And let's start with Europe, since you, you played there for a, a long time. Every college basketball player that Blaine and I come across, 
thinks they're going to the NBA. And then if it doesn't work out in the NBA, they just say, well, we're just going to go to Europe. Like there's a million teams in Europe and all this money that they're just waiting for American basketball players where it didn't quite work out with the NBA. Is that a major misconception? You know, it is because the, the talent level there is, is pretty impressive. And it's certainly been elevated since I, I was there many years ago. But yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's not a money grab. Uh, it's not a, you got to be good to get there. Yeah, you certainly do. And, and uh, as, you, as you talk about that, one of the, my wonderful teammates from way back when was Steve Trumbo. Yeah. Yes. And talk about European basketball. He, he was a legend there. And I, I got to hear a lot of Steve Trumbo stories. <laughs> and he went over there as, a, as an American, competed as an American, and then became a, a Spanish national. And was able to play, play there, extend his career, and found a wonderful wife mm-hmm. in Spain. But Steve was a great teammate back in, in Provo and had a wonderful career in Europe in, in the country of Spain. We hung out. We, with we him. got a great yeah. chance to hang out with Steve when when uh, that uh, eighty one team came came back and visit with him. I hadn't seen him for a long, long time since we were all in school together. And uh, what a great representative he was of BYU over there. The, the cool thing about Steve was that a lot of those players go over and they play and they don't invest themselves in the community over there and they just come back to the States in the off season. But, but Steve kind of, he made it his home. You know, he, he, his wife is from there. They raised their kids there. Um, he got involved in the community and just, he was a great representative of BYU over in Spain during that time, wasn't he? Uh, very much so. He was very well loved throughout the country. But Steve Trump was a very easy person to love. Sometimes Europe comes over here. The Soviet Union came and played an exhibition game in 79. Remember that? Certainly. What was that like? This was back when they were the, they came out. I remember as a kid being there, they came out with a USSR red and white jerseys. And it was like, uh, it was like, it was like Rocky four or something like that. What, what was it like that night? You know, before we go there, you know, you're turning back the clock. Can we talk just a minute about your dad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can do whatever we want. That's we, we, yeah, the fun part about this show is we show. do whatever we want. <laughs> Dale McCann, back in those days, he, he really was BYU. He represented the school and all the uh, alumni and all the supporters. Director of the Cougar Club. Yeah. yeah and and it just uh, thank you for... for uh, the impact that your father had on all of us as young athletes. Oh, thanks. And just, um, he, he, he passed too young. Yeah. And I just want to just bring his name up and, and remember what a positive impact that he had on all the athletes in the university and the Cougar Club. Well, thank you. And you should know that I have a younger brother named Devin because <laughs> yeah. of you. I love to hear that. Please, <laughs> I got a Mark too and, and, from Mark and, and Wilson. Say, we told when, him when he had him on. We, we all have great memories of Dale when, whether it was going to an NCAA tournament and Dale being there and coordinating all the things there, or down to a Holiday Bowl. And I, you know, I was in four Holiday Bowls and a Citrus Bowl, and having Dale there supporting us and just a great person he was. Well, because of my dad. I had tickets to that game. <laughs> so now let's go back that to the Russians good. at the Marriott Center. What, 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 there was a straight, you know, was it a couple months later is when the U.S. hockey team beat the Soviet Union in the uh, semifinals in Lake Placid. So there was that big, but this basketball team was supposed to be really good too. 
and you get to face them on your home floor. What, what do you remember from that? You know, at the time when they came in, uh, we were told that they were the number one ranked amateur team in the world at the time. And I think they, the center was Trichenko, if I remember right. And they came in, and there were men playing against boys. There was 22,000 people there. Uh, and uh, you may remember it better than I do. I just remember that in the end, uh, we got banged up a lot, but we came out victorious. Yeah. I, big, I don't they remember were a, a big, lot. They're a big physical team. I re, yeah, I remember that. And it's hard to find stuff written about that team, but you're right. They, they were um, – now, foreign teams come over all the time, but this was this was the cut above. And I don't even know how they ended up coming to Provo. Maybe Kreshim or Chosich knew somebody back in the day that got that done. But I just remember it was an early November game, and so the season didn't start till later. But that was one of the magical nights at the Marriott Center. Yeah, that, that was a beautiful night. When you talk about uh, European teams that came to the Marriott Center to compete against us, I think the following year they brought in the Italian national team. And now that was the night when, when we got beat up. They were very physical. Yeah. And it was fun. I can't remember the outcome of the game, but I do remember a lot of bruises from it. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't it fun? Basketball is such an international game. Um, and we see these teams now, they go off and do a, a tour of Europe, and and they go represent the university when they're traveling around. Or they're, so it's not just about gelling as a team and playing, but they're out there representing BYU when they're on these tours. They get to do it every so many years. Um, how important is it for these for these teams, especially BYU teams, to have this opportunity to go to different parts of the world and represent the university and what BYU is all about? Well, just speaking from from my own experience, they took us to to Europe. We spent time in Italy and in Yugoslavia at the time. Uh, Kreshmer took us around, and we had a chance to compete there in in uh, Croatia at the time, and. We had it, it, I think what it really does is it builds chemistry amongst the team. You certainly want to go and represent the university as best you can. But the byproduct is you're spending time with, with the guys. You're getting to yeah. know the coaches a little bit away from the court. And I look back on that experience with, with such fondness. I still can see a picture of all of us standing in the Colosseum in Rome. And that was our team shot that following year. Now there's a temple over there. Yes, absolutely. A gorgeous temple. <laughs> All right, let's talk about you for a minute. Uh, actually, most of this interview is about you. So. <laughs> That's right. You That's why we got him here. 27.9 <laughs> points okay. a game. Okay, I want to I interrupt again then. What? Oh, no, this is about you. This uh, is about I, you. I need to hear about Libby. Oh. Can, can you give us just a quick update? You, you, well, on, we talk on about her once Libby. in a while on the yeah. show. Don't yeah, we? let's take a minute and update on Libby. So, so Libby is, um, so he, Devin's talking about my, our youngest daughter, Libby, right. who, who's married to Dallas Lloyd. Sure. And, and you guys know Dallas. Um, um, the Lloyds are a great family from Pleasant Grove. Dallas was the Utah Player of the Year and then played at Stanford. And, and we love his father, Casey. Yeah, you guys know Casey and Ange. Sure. We love him, too. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it is a funny story. Dallas came to me and said to me, um, hey, I'm, and they were long distance dating. And he says to me, uh, I, I'm in love with Libby and I, I can't live without her and I want to marry her. And me being the protective girl dad, 
I'm like, Dallas, you need to just figure this out because this long distance thing's working fine. And Libby's got another year of school and my daughters are going to graduate from college. You're at Stanford. She's here. You can see each other on breaks. I think it's all fine. That's what I said to him. <laughs> and he says, I want to make you a, a promise. If you'll, if you'll let her come support me for my last couple of years here at Stanford in football and then whatever comes after that in the NFL – when, when my time, he goes, I'm not going to be on a, I'm not going to, I'm not interested in being on a practice squad. When, and if I don't make a 53 man roster in the NFL, then, then I will come back. We'll come back. She will finish school and then I will support her dream. We're going to chase my dream for a couple of years. Then we'll go chase her, her dream. So, so I'm like, okay, that sounds, that sounds like an honorable deal. Let's just make this deal. So we shook on it. The other thing they did was smart is, he, he, they were in town. He was in town and said, hey, is there any way I could go work out with you? Could like we go to the gym together? And he asked me all this while we we're at the gym. <laughs> so he had me, you know, he had me, you know. And so to Dallas's credit, and you guys know the Lloyds really well, he, he was a phenomenal player at Stanford. They were the number three team in the country. He was the defensive captain, Christian McCaffrey, the offensive captain. And uh, they win the Rose Bowl, kill Iowa in the Rose Bowl. Um, and and he goes off and uh, and is with the Chicago Bears, and he got cut right at the very, very end, and they came back to Provo. He says, this is the deal we made. And they came back to Provo. They lived with us in the basement. She took like 18 hours a semester, finished school, and they moved to New York. And Dallas supporter, he says, hey, I've got a master's degree in economics from Stanford. I can get a job anywhere, which is true, right? So he got a job back there, and, uh, and she started auditioning and, and has had some pretty prominent roles back in, in New York on Broadway. And now she's playing one of the two leading roles, Nini and Moulin Rouge, in the first national touring company, Broadway Touring Company. They're currently in San Francisco. Um, and so they've traveled, and Dallas's job allows him to work remote. So Dallas and Libby have a 12-month contract where they're traveling around the country, and, uh, and she's playing this, uh, this leading role in, in Moulin Rouge, which uh, won 10, 10 Tony Awards last wow. year on Broadway. Wow. So they'll be, here in, they'll be here in Utah for a short run in December. We're all going to go... All right. Watch them up in Salt Lake. So, so there's uh, there's Libby's update. Uh, a for, couple for, things. For Devin. So slide your chair over so you're better positioned on our camera. Just okay. slide it over here this way, and then pull that mic under your chin, and then no more deflecting any questions. <laughs> yes, now it's we're about not on you. Devin Durant's show. This is, show. About this is on you. the Wise Guys. So, so you average twenty seven point nine so. points a game during your senior year. <laughs> Stay with me here. Uh, you have a stretch of games where you score thirty six, thirty five, thirty four, thirty eight, thirty three, and thirty six. What? What was it about your game that was so difficult to defend? Oh, wow. Let's see. How do I answer this question, Blaine? Well, I, I know what I think. but We got our own answers, but, but what, what do you got? You know, one of the nice things about when it, my senior year, the coach was Liddell Anderson. His background was the ABA yeah. uh, in obviously Utah State. But he, he was accustomed to uh, getting the ball to the hot hand. And he, he ran our offense through me. And so, uh, fortunately, I had a lot of very unselfish teammates and who, who would uh, get the ball, and, and I wasn't, wasn't gun-shy. No. And, and so, <laughs> in fact, we were always in attack mode, and some nights it came together. 
I asked your brother Mark for some questions, <laughs> and he put them out on Twitter today. Uh, and one of them, the, did you, in fact, ever meet a shot you didn't like? <laughs> this is what Mark said. Yeah, your younger brother Mark. I, I told everybody earlier <laughs> on the show, everybody needs to follow Mark on Twitter because he's hilarious to follow. But you Sometimes you, irreverent, but always funny. You made right. a lot of shots. You took a lot of shots, mm-hmm. but you were the guy, like you mentioned, everyone's job was to get you the ball because no one could stop you. What, what kind of feelings? I've never had that feeling. What is it? <laughs> Oh, again, uh, it, basically you're just trying to do your job, and, and my role was to score. And and so if they put me in that role, I was going to do the best I could. <laughs> green light. Here's, the green numbers, light. Right? Here's, here's the honest to goodness truth from a person that's been a basketball analyst for more than 30 years. Devin's length combined with his quickness and then his, his pure shooting ability is a rare combination. Yeah. You have some guys that are really quick and really bouncy, but don't have great touch. You know, so they can they can get to the rim or they can get their shot, but they're not great pure shooters. You have guys with length that are physical, but just don't have the the touch and the skill around the basket or from distance that Devin had. And then you have a guy that can face up and and shoot with just beautiful rotation on the ball, you can make a training video of Devin shooting the basketball. It's it's like perfection. And I know that that comes from hours and hours and years and years of getting shots up and working on your game. And, and then if you try to push up on Devin, he'll put the ball on the floor and take you to the rack and finish in any left-handed, right-handed, finger roll, dunk it on. Did, didn't matter. And, and so... That's a rare combination to have the kind of length that he has with the shooting skill and the quickness and then the mentality that, okay, coach, if you're going to build this offense around so me, I'll take I, the skill set. Is this all true? Can this I interrupt him? Because that's what he could do. <laughs> yes, and he can. won't tell you that, but that's what he you could do. You had the green light. What all that meant was you had the green light. Yes. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. The Liddell Anderson came to me at the beginning of my senior year, and he said, Devin, I'm going to let you go. You, when you get tired, go ahead and take yourself out of the game and you can put yourself back <laughs> in the game. And I thought, wow. That's power. I like this. And <clears throat> about three games in, I was tired. And so I said, Coach, I need, I need a little bit. I need a break. So I went and took myself out and sat down. I was there for about a minute. And I thought to myself, what in the world have I done? And so I went and subbed myself back in the game. <laughs> and I never voluntarily took myself out of a game the rest of that year. Oh. Nor, nor should you. And just you never missed in, a start. Just stayed in. <laughs> I, I, was, I was sitting um, courtside, and you guys are playing, I think it's Notre Dame at our place. And the Marriott Center, you remember that one? Yes. And, and, and I shouldn't even tell this story. He's passed away, so he can't. You know, but Elder Perry was sitting on the front row, in the president's row, right? And, and I'm sitting courtside. And Devin goes in, and he makes a layup, and he turns to turn around and run back down to the court to defend, and a Notre Dame guy steps in front of you, I don't know if you remember this, and basically forearm checks him to the ground. And Devin goes down. And, and it's like a gasp. And I hear from right behind me, what are you looking at, ref? Are you blind? <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, that was a big voice. Who was that? <laughs> and I turn around, and Elder Perry is standing up, leaning over the front <laughs> rail and that's what he's screaming at the ref and then sister perry i see her hand come up 
<laughs> onto his shoulder, and she pulls him back down and pats him and gives him a little, like a little concerned look. And he's like, he goes like this, and he takes he takes a breath. I'm like, it's one of my favorite yeah. memories in the Marriott Center. Elder Perry was defending Devin like nobody's <laughs> business out there. He loved loved coming to games. Uh, we've had uh, national champions on this show, Olympic medalists. We've had Super Bowl champions on this show, but never before until tonight have we had someone who's spoken at General Conference three times. <laughs> now, let's be honest here. Is that nerve-wracking? Wow. Uh, to, to say the least, I remember in 1984, I was invited to speak in the priesthood session. Mm-hmm. And... I, I've never felt my heart pounding in such a way that I thought it might just jump right out of my chest. It was pounding so hard. But, I, yeah, it's, it's been a wonderful honor. I have a story from 1984. You want to turn back the clock again and yeah. share that from Priesthood We live in the past all the time. Yes, we do. <laughs> hey, and the, and, the, and the further in the past it gets, like the better we were. Because there can be less verifications. <laughs> yeah. All right, so 1984. So I'm, I'm nervous, as I mentioned. I'm getting ready to speak, and, and I'm the first speaker. And President Hinckley, he wasn't the, the prophet at the time, but he was conducting and said our first speaker will be Devin Durant, and, and then after this hymn. And so the choir sings the hymn, and I'm trying to time my arrival at the pulpit just as the hymn ends, as we all try to do that. And so... The choir started singing Amen, and I knew that if they were singing Amen, the song was about over. And so I started, I jumped out of my chair and started walking up the stairs in the old tabernacle, and I get ready to turn the corner to head to the pulpit, and they start another verse of the song. (laughs) It must have been the Spirit of God, like a fire is burning, it goes forever. So I'm stuck. What do I do? Do I walk <laughs> and, and down it's, and the And it's not stairs? like you're 5'9". Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not easy to miss. So, and so a friendly hand reaches out, and it's Elder Faust. Yeah. And he pulls me over, and he scoots over on his chair, and I'm basically sitting on Elder Faust's knee while the choir sings the last verse of the song. Oh, man. That's and classic. It was so comforting. And, and then somebody tapped my shoulder, and I turned, and it was older Maxwell. I got to shake his hand. Yeah. And then, then I looked, and, and there was another hand reached out. There was an empty chair, and another hand reached out. And I was shaking hands with Elder Russell M. Nelson. Oh, wow. And the empty chair there was Elder Oaks' chair. He wasn't a, that was the conference when Elder Oaks and... President Nelson, President Oaks, and President Nelson were sustained as new members of the Quorum of the Twelve. And so I got to visit with them as I waited for the choir to sing and then <laughs> off to the pulpit. Wow. That's awesome. Now that is a great, so you're that in is the, a great story. Former member of the General Sunday School Presidency, so that, that puts you up there speaking a couple more times. So, so put us in your shoes. You get, once you get to the podium, and there's a teleprompter and there's a timer, and once you get to the podium, what, what happens? <laughs> Well, first your mouth begins to go, go dry. And, <laughs> and you know you're on a time limit, right? So you're like saying, hey, take seven minutes, not eight, yes. not six. Yeah, you're, you, that's important <laughs> to stay on time. But what they do is prior to you speaking, there's a, a room in the administration building in the, in the basement where you can simulate the experience in the conference center. 
sound reverberates. And, and so you go there and you practice. Like a green room, kind yeah. of a practice room? Yes, and, okay. and they'll have you work through the teleprompter and, and timing things. And, and so when you're speaking in, in the conference center, lights are dim. And so you can't see who you're speaking to. You can see the teleprompter. Yeah. So in a way, you are talking to yourself when actually there's a few thousand people or 20 yeah or whatever yeah <laughs> and so it, it's a bit of a surreal experience because you, you 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 do feel in a way almost all alone up there and then when you're done what's that feeling like oh <laughs> the relief yeah <laughs> it's so much easier to walk back to your chair than to walk towards oh, the pulpit isn't that when, the truth and when you're in the conference center when you're in the conference center can you is there an echo? Like, can you hear the sound like a little later out there? Yes. Oh, man, that's brutal. Yeah, and, and that's why they have you practice in that, 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 uh, that, that small studio to kind of get accustomed that's, to that. That's what? not easy. They, we, we're spoiled. Like, when we're doing a live show, like when we do game day and there's a lot of fans all around, they give us um, noise-canceling ear things that come up and over and in, and we can... Nobody knows this. We can't hear anything but each other exactly at the same time. No echoes, no. We're spoiled. That's not easy. I remember. That's hard. Can I add just one thing? Is one of the, when I was young, when I spoke in General Conference in 1984 in the priesthood session, when I walked away from there, the, the feeling that I had was I'd never felt so loved because all of the, yeah. The general authorities there—they're patting your hand, they're giving you a week, they're shaking, they're giving you a hug, and and then the same thing happens in recent years when I spoke in general conference. The 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 feeling of love and support from the group of of uh, general officers and general authorities—it's it, unforgettable. The love that you feel as people come up and and just uh, commend you for for the things that that you said what causes more anxiety speaking in general conference or about to take a game winning shot it's <laughs> very easy general conference anxieties <laughs> up here and taking a shot hey <laughs> i don't i don't doubt that at all I isn't it's a all. great example of um of the power that comes with being a successful athlete um, and there are successful things in, like Marie Osmond was here, successful things in, in all that we do. But especially around here in our culture, um, I've seen it with Jimmer when he walks into a room, and um, that it, it's something, and it stays with you, uh, and you only earn it by scoring points or catching touchdowns. It's, it's crazy, but you can feel it, can't you? Even after all these years, you walk into a room like, there's Devin Durant. You walked into a baseball game. I was calling the game. I looked down. I go, Devin Durant sitting down there. <laughs> Yeah, you, it, it is interesting to me that, that for me, my life has moved on. You know, I left BYU in, in 1984, almost 38 years ago. Yeah. And I've had a uh, career, played a little basketball and done other things professionally. And, uh, you know, had opportunities to, to, to speak here and there. And even today, people... People will come up and say, hey, Devin, hey, I remember back when you hit that shot at BYU. And I think, well, you know, my life has moved on, but for, for them, I'm frozen back as a cougar in, in 1984. And I, I'm always so flattered when anybody 
turns back the clock to that time, but it, it's always it's it, it's a, always a little bit awkward because of the passage of time. Well, here's a guy who hasn't had anything move on. Uh, your brother. <laughs> <laughs> who writes, what was it like to be an All-American and still not be your mom's favorite? <laughs> well, we, we all, we're all settled that Mark was our mother's favorite, so that, that's a given. They just dealt with that. <laughs> he just came to terms early, moved on to the next thing. I love Mark. I, when I, I just go through life and I think, I need a little boost here. I, I'm going to check my Twitter account, and, and there's Mark, and he's oh. giving me something to chuckle about. I, I love him and his dear wife, Marilee, and their children. How blessed I am to have Mark as a We brother. might have him on this show yeah, sometime. We haven't decided. <laughs> what I love about Mark is some people are funny, and then some people, there's some, there's some intellect to their wit, right? So the things that he puts on there, you go, and then once you think about it, you go, oh, now, now I get that. That's a deeper uh, sense of humor because he really has a really smart wit about him wit, do you ever listen to him uh, on the radio call the games yes yes i do and M mark you might this might surprise you but as we gather as a family he doesn't have a lot to say that but is surprising really put him behind the microphone and he's just so eloquent and, and you know why because he gets paid he knows he's on <laughs> yeah. the clock when he's behind the that's, mic that's yeah. funny. i tell people my older brother matt is the chief justice on the utah supreme court yeah so I say, you know, my older brother, Matt, got the brains. You know, <laughs> Mark got the wit, and I got the height. And scored all the points. <laughs> yes, scored you all did. The points. Former BYU basketball star Devin Durant's on the Wise Guys in the 1979 WAC Freshman of the Year and the WAC Player of the Year in 1984. You got a new book out called The Values Delta, Small, Simple Way to Make a Positive Difference. I've looked through this. It's like a workbook with assignments and personal assessments, all based on the importance of positivity. Yeah, thanks for calling it a workbook, because that really is what it is. It, it is a work, but there's assignments in here. I'm like, man, once I start reading this, I'm going to have to do all this stuff. <laughs> but worth yes. it, right? But yes. worth, worth doing the assignments. Yeah, it, it's, it's something that I've given a lot of thought to, and it, like it's the, the subtitle, it's just a small and simple way to make a positive difference, and it really is basically the answer. Answer three questions. One, uh, what are your values? Two, what, what do you value? What's most important in your life? And three, how do those values that you've outlined impact the things that you value? And so it's, it's an opportunity for some introspection and, and uh, to, to track your progress. And so I like that it's only like contact. 180 pages. There you go. <laughs> and uh, it's and a lot of small words which go right into my wheelhouse, but there's a lot of great stuff it, in here. It, it feels in, in our world today like there's a lot of negative all over. You, you watch the news, you know, and Dave was a, a news anchor for more than 30 years, you know, co covering world events and all that. I, and I feel like Dave took a real, he tried to take a positive tack to things more so than most you'll ever watch, right? The stories they tried to cover were, were positive. But that's unusual. The world is seems to be a more and more negative place where people are trying to cover the negative, push people down, do all that. How important, and you, t you talk about positivity in this book, how important is a positive outlook um, in today's society? Oh, critical for me. And and in the book, I, one of my priority values is optimism. I just think it's... it's uh, the, the negativity is 
this weighs us down, and I think think we need to do all we can to to set it aside and find the good in the world and be optimistic. And the, the, when I was, uh, I think I was probably fifteen or sixteen in high school, and I had a woodshop class, and uh, I had opportunity to build a big bookcase. And in there, right in the center of that bookcase, I left a space for a poem called The Optimist Creed. Um, Christian Larson uh, wrote it in, I think it was 1914. And it just outlined different ways that we could be optimistic. And I embraced that and, and want to do that till, till the day I die. Speaking of optimism, BYU joins the Big 12 next year. You were a mission president in Dallas a few years back. That's the heart of Big 12 country. How eager are you to have BYU go into that part of the world and stay there? Love it. I, I think it's such a, a great step forward, and I commend Tom and Brian and everybody and Liz for, for making that happen. I think it's going uh, to help us elevate in, in our competition in all aspects of the university. And I think it's a wonderful move. I'm more than anxious to, to get there yeah. and, and experience uh, that level of competition and the level of expectation that's going to come as well. It's going to be good for the sports programs. They're going to have to step up. The Big 12, like 11 of the last 12 years, is the number one rated basketball conference in America, so it's no easy task. But we look at it from our BYU TV um, perch and, and look at these markets that, that BYU TV now maybe will have some more eyes um, uh, looking at what's going on and taking a look at BYU and what it represents. Seems to be a really good fit. Bible Belt, good Christian folks. Uh, and what's your thoughts? You were, you were mission, in, mission president in, in the Bible Belt, really. How do you think BYU b- will be received in these markets? Um, and will they be respected? Will people... Um, uh, inquire and learn more about it and will it be good for the church and the university i believe so i i think yeah, that that extra exposure is going to be a positive thing there'll always be a detractor here or there but overall if we can increase the exposure to the product that brigham university offers it, it it's going to be all positive just a few more questions for devin durant uh in a free throw shooting contest tonight <laughs> yes who, who wins you or mark your younger brother um, if the contest was tonight, free throws, who wins? Mark. Really? No. I didn't no, think so. No, there's no way. <laughs> I should have gone, no. Like, no way is an older brother I saying that. I don't bet as a standard prospect. How many, how many of you hit in a row? I would bet on Devin. How many of you hit in a row? I, I can't remember. Like some crazy number? No, you know, I, I just, I, I can't remember. I wish I could give you a, 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 a nice number. Seems like Mark would know, like right off the tip of his tongue, how <laughs> oh, many. Mark, he's Mark would know. Uh, one time I made twenty-seven in a row. He would. But know you were that. making free throws at Provo High School back in the day, and uh, I think your career percentage is still way up there. Uh, you were comfortable at the line. Were, were yeah. you and Kyle Whittingham and Craig Garrick and all those guys at Provo High at the same time? Yes. Yeah. You, guys were, you guys were all. The, I was thinking about this is a couple weeks ago. I was thinking about all. Of the guys that came out of Provo High during that time when you were there, when I knew you were coming on the show, and I got thinking, man, what a group of guys, right? Yeah, Craig Garrick played basketball, I think, his sophomore year and then focused on football. Yeah. And uh, I wish I w- would have interacted more with Kyle. He he was very quiet in high school. Yeah. Now I love to see him in front of the media. He, he does such a, such a great job, and he's had a fantastic career as the – 
the U head coach and just nothing but, but, but good for Kyle. Uh, Marie Osmond was here in August, and we talked uh, about your dating prowess when you guys went out. Before you met Julie, Julie's here. She can confirm or deny. Um, Here is a direct quote, uh, Devin. Oh, my gosh. Um, She said, quote, he was a forward on the basketball team and forward on our dates. (laughs) And we told her, we're going to have you on this show. And she's probably listening tonight because she's all into this stuff. Uh, and I know you guys are all dear friends because we saw each other sure. at the Sierra where her sure. performance is and stuff. But uh, would you like to confirm or deny that? <laughs> Let's just say that you did a wonderful job at the concert with Marie. Let's just say yeah. that should have been you. Yes, that should have been you. <laughs> that should have been you. And she even called you out while I was up there under duress. Mm. Yeah, but let, let, uh, let's, that, let's what a unique. About, let's talk about Marie for a minute. Yeah, yes. what a unique uh, time that was. For, for you guys to, to all be hanging out in this group together. Yeah, it was. It was a wonderful m- memories, and, and Marie's been a dear friend. Uh, but, but you think about the impact that Marie Osmond has had uh, on the world. Yeah. Uh, she, she's probably she's one of the strongest women that I know. She's grown up in the public eye. Can you imagine the pressures that she's had to deal mm-hmm. with over the years? And we, we saw him last week in Las Vegas, and I was telling her that she, she's raised over $8 billion for the Children's Miracle right. Network. Yeah. Yes, she's a fantastic performer, author, uh, does so many wonderful things, but I don't know how you top what she's done for all the children that have benefited from the funds that she's raised through the Children's Miracle Network. It's really remarkable. She's coming out on 40 years yeah. participating there, and, and there's 40 more years there for her to continue to bless lives through that wonderful charity. She told us what she loved, being a student for the time she was there, uh, while even sitting in a class knowing that that night she's performing at the Marriott Center, and her friends didn't know it. But the, there was the group with you, and there was Danny Ainge, and there was Steve Young, and then there was Robbie Bosco, there's Jim McMahon, and then you go over to the baseball team, and you go Tina Gunn, and on the, on the women's basketball team, and all this, this was such a unique time at BYU, and you were right in the middle of it. Oh, yeah, it, it was wonderful. It's fun to reflect on, on those personalities and, and what they've accomplished at, at post-graduation, and just brings back a lot of warm memories, and Steve Craig was an old teammate, right? Uh, still a dear friend, and, and wonderful to see those two together. Yeah, and, and you know, one of my favorite people is Danny Ainge. Just a remarkable teammate. Can you imagine? We're playing basketball, and then his summer job, he's going to go play in the major leagues for the Blue Jays. Yeah, just incredible athlete and, and great man. Can you imagine being on a basketball team where you're better than Danny Ainge? At scoring baskets. So you had that going for you, too. No, no, that we, we would never say that. <laughs> anyone, we're not saying it. We're just, we're just, we're just knowing yeah. it that, that, uh, that to both you and he uh, scored a lot of points. Still, what, two top five all time BYU? Yeah, Danny will always be at the top of the list. Just a, the, the amazing athlete that he was, but, but the great teammate that he was. Yeah. Danny could have. Uh, done so much more as far as statistics, but he was all about making each one of us uh, better, keeping us involved, because he recognized for us to get to where we, we need to be, it would have to be a team effort. The thing Danny doesn't get credit for is, is there wasn't a three-point line for Danny. Right. 
Can you imagine the points he would have scored had there been a three-point line when, when Danny was playing? So, and you absolutely... How, how far out did you, you go? Oh, Dan would go out and shoot threes all day long. I was good from about three feet in. <laughs> That's <laughs> not true. That is such... Although you made a living that is three such, feet That in. is such baloney. How far out would you go? If the three-point line, would that be about as far out as you'd go? Because I know you made a living in the paint. I wouldn't go out that far. There was no incentive for me to try to extend right. uh, my, my jump shot. If I could get uh, to the basket, that's where I was going. Later on, when I played in Europe, now we had a three-point line, and, and so I would step out and, okay. and take advantage of that. Devin has a face-up jump shot to extend to three. He just There was no reason, right, when, when you were playing. And, and, you know, Danny wasn't... He not, was, Danny was still out not, shooting threes, yeah, only no, getting not, twos. No, but da- even Danny, <laughs> like, in today's world... You know, you play around that three-point line. Like, you know, yeah. do you run plays so that, like, when somebody's going to shoot a jump shot out there and come off of a screen, they're behind a three-point line to be rewarded for that. But, uh, you know, these guys were just, hey, you take the best shot because there's no incentive to be out there shooting it. Yeah, yeah even at that, we, you know, we had Scott Rooney out there. Yeah. Nobody could shoot better Greg than Scott. Scott was a was great a shooter out there. Bench. Greg Balaf was a fantastic shooter. Yeah. And so we, we, we had a lot, of, a lot of different weapons, and they didn't need me shooting outside. Well, when, when, when at that time, and I was lucky to be there with all of you guys at the same time, we were on school at the same time, our basketball team was making a run to the Elite Eight. Our, our, uh, and, and, and in the NCAA tournament every year, Devin was in the NCAA tournament three times. Our baseball team was playing in the College World Series with Wally and Corey and those guys. Um, our you know, track and field team was nationally ranked. Football team was you know top, top 10 program and marching toward a national championship in 1984. It really was an amazing time to be at, be at BYU when there was so much strength across so many sports and so much exposure for the university that was bringing eyes on the university and the, and the, and the missionary mission of the church that hadn't really been there at that level before. It was a fun time to be there together, wasn't it? Oh, it, it certainly was, and it was just a, everything came together during those years. It was almost magical, and but now we're looking at Think about what's going on now. Uh, you look at our men's cross country team. Yeah. Number one. Uh, the women's cross country team. What you know, Dilji Taylor's doing with, with oh, these amazing, young women. Right? They're fantastic. What Heather Olmstead's doing on the volleyball side. Jen Rockwood and soccer. And the list goes on and on. Yeah. And just the, the accomplishments and, and even with our football team, you know, you could change two or three plays last week. And we have a different outcome. Now we have an opportunity still to make a, a huge mark this year and represent the university in a nice bowl game down the road. Glad you brought that up. So Arkansas is here Saturday. Here's the last big question, then Blaine will hit you up with five little ones. Here's our, here's our like, we have one that's least dedicated to you. But. Yeah. Give us, uh, <laughs> give us the three keys for a BYU win against the Razorbacks on Saturday. I, I just hope Jaron feels comfortable. You know, he, he he is such a gifted athlete, and and I, I guess from what I know, I don't know him personally, but just seems like a, a, the, one of the classiest people yeah. you'll ever be around. And so I, I hope he feels comfortable and can find his groove. And, uh, you know, again, we got to get the ground game going. Yeah, got to run, uh, run the ball. C- certainly, and, and I'm hoping someone really – takes that role as, as the, the, our lead guy on the ground. Yeah. And then defense got to keep doing what they do. You know, we've got some real studs on the defensive side of the ball. And 
They were they were on TV a lot on Saturday yeah, night because they, they were out they there for 41 minutes. They defended minutes. too yeah. many plays. <laughs> yeah, we got to make they, sure they're in shape yeah, if they're they going to have that time of possession the way it was. But that, that, that's going to change. We're, we're yeah, it'll be different. Those. Total plays yeah. last week, Notre Dame had 73 and BYU had 46. That never yeah. works out. Good stuff. Okay. In yeah. an eight-point game. And here's the thing. Like, I, you know what I love about Jaron? Like, win or lose, he always comes, comes on the show, with you know comes out afterwards, does an interview, just – and he always takes responsibility, even sometimes when it's not his, right? Which teammates love that. Mm-hmm. And he comes out and he goes, hey, I've got to do this better. I've got to do that better. It creates a culture where everybody says, well, I just got to do my job better. And I love that culture. And, and people said, how, are your shul- well, how is your shoulder? It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, let me tell you. There's something there's wrong some- with it. There was something wrong with his shoulder, and he hardly practiced last week because of it. Now, I think he's going to be significantly better this week. But at that position, at that level, against that level of competition, if you haven't practiced all week, it's hard to go out and execute. And and so he did have a little bit of a struggle at the beginning. He really got it going in that second half. I expect him to play great this week because he's going to have a week mm-hmm. of practice under his belt. I feel the same way, and he throws such a beautiful ball. Wouldn't it be great to be a wide receiver oh. Jaron Hall's back there throwing it. He's got a he's got a stable of him, and he's kind of got what you had. He has the ability to stay in the game until he takes himself out. <laughs> Devin used, like Devin that. used Devin to tell me that when we BYU. would eat training I'm table together. Devin used to tell me I could come out there and play wide receiver, and I would be good. And I believed him. I believed him. I would 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 love that. I grew up watching Gifford Nielsen, yeah. dreaming about trying to catch a pass pass from him and. Never happened, but I can still hang on to that dream. It, it would have yeah. been fun. Frankie Fredericks came out to practice one day just to come out and watch. And um, I'm like, Frankie. And I threw the ball and <laughs> it hit him in the chest and fell down on the ground. And he's like, I just grew up playing soccer. He's, not, he's about, <laughs> about to catch that thing. All he right. could have run away from everybody, but he couldn't catch. Two th- Devin yeah. could Two have things. caught the ball. Five questions are coming up. And where can folks buy your book? Yes. By the way, you didn't come on here to promote the book, but after you wrote your book, we said we're talking about yeah. the book. Uh, thank you. I can't. Thank I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the work workbook and everything, and I'm going to give you feedback. I, I'm certain I'm going to love it. Well, that sounds great. It's, it's uh, just available on Amazon. Okay. And uh, come to my website, thevaluesdelta.com. Okay. For those who go there, there's a, there's a video near the bottom of the page. It's a story that my father wrote. And it's called No Tracks, The Value of Quiet Service, about 13 minutes long. So get, get the family together for home evening and, and, uh, and enjoy a story that will probably bring a tear or two. All right. So, Your dad was the MTC president when I was there. An awesome man. So and our, our guys, um, thanks. Our guys have put up the link on the. On oh, great. The, so, so people Thank that you. are on the show will be able to watch that or be able to link into that and, and go do that. So, okay, time, time for five questions for Devin. And some of them are the same. So we'll start with your favorite sports movie. Favorite sports movie would definitely be Rocky. I, you know what? I knew you were going to say Rocky. Yeah. Yeah, that came out when I think is in my uh, junior in high school. And yeah. uh, the guys and I, we, we went to that movie maybe seven or eight times. <laughs> have, you, have you been to Philly to the art museum and run those stairs? Absolutely. Yeah, we, I've done That's it too. Awesome. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Okay, your favorite singer or band? Sergio and Estivaliz. They are Spanish singers. And what kind of music is this? Spanish? Wow. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's Spanish music. <laughs> this is what you're exposed to when you're over there playing basketball? Is yes. this group? Yeah. What are they again? Uh, Sergio and Estivaliz. Okay. And I'll tell you, that's a first here on the Wise Guys. Yeah, no one else has no. come up with that band. Husband and no. wife group. And 
the most beautiful voice she has. Uh, so we have two, fir- like Justin Bieber from Curtis Brown. Nobody's chosen Justin. And then Serie. Okay. Right? Sergio. 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 Oh, it's, it's Sergio. Sergio. Estibaliz. Okay. Estibaliz. I'm learning Spanish from Devin as we're doing this. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite breakfast cereal? Uh, this week, it would be... This week? You just yeah. roll through them? By, by the way, I had Apple Jacks before I came to the show. So I had, I had I'm all loops. about the sugar. What um, uh, What are you thinking? Well, I, I, I'm a, I like Cheerios. Cheer, but That's old wait, school. Do you put... Do you put? Do you take some sugar and put sugar on it, or do you just no eat sugar? It? Yeah, gotta have a banana. And oh, if there's okay. some strawberries or peaches. Absolutely. I, I like that with some sugar. So I, I, I'm, <laughs> no, like, I'm seventy five percent there. That just changed it for me because at first I'm like, the come fruits. on, Devin, just plain old Cheerios. Like you might as well eat cardboard. But <laughs> but then when he added, he's gonna put the bananas and the strawberries on it. I'm I'm all good with. You know that. how soft kids are today. When when we were at church and we were little and we were learning, getting our teeth and stuff, we were eating plain Cheerios, yep. bag of Cheerios. Today, it's it's Brut Loops, it's Captain <laughs> Crunch, yeah. it's Frosted Flakes, and it's like, man, hey, that's, that's nobody, living, they don't know likes, they're living the dream. regular Captain Crunch. I'm like, you don't eat the Captain Crunch with the Crunch Berries? No, nah, it's just like He's a like, straight, no, just a straight just Captain straight. Crunch. So that's, that's a little disappointing. Okay. Um, your favorite BYU memory, and, and we'll clarify like we did for Curtis. Doesn't have to be basketball related. Just your favorite memory of BYU. Period. Yeah, I'm following Curtis's lead. I I was standing in a line in the BYU bookstore, and wanted to buy a gift for a friend. And as I waited there in line, a friend approached me and they said, "Hey, Devin, congratulations! I understand you got your mission call to Spain." And I said, "Yes, I was going to be leaving three weeks later." And a young lady standing behind me said, "Spain." And I turned, and that was the first time I saw my, my future wife. She then told me about the country of Spain. She had been a semester abroad student there, and I was very interested in hearing about her experience in Spain for the first couple of minutes. And, and then <laughs> my interest turned to her. And we spent a lot of time together for three weeks, and then I left on my mission for Spain. And did she, did she write you throughout the mission, so you guys kept in touch during the mission? Or She did. She was a great letter writer. I, I tell friends that I fell in love with my wife through her letters. Yeah. You know, I, and and then, then I also add that as a missionary, I'd get up each morning and you know, I'd study my scriptures or, I, or I'd study her letters. And usually I studied her letters first <laughs> and then the scriptures. It's a good order. That's a good order. <laughs> and when they sign love on a letter, it means something completely different out in the mission <laughs> yeah. field. It's like, it's like, oh my gosh. You, in fact, you open a letter and you just go to the bottom. <laughs> see how they sign it before you even want to read it. But um, aren't you glad you went to the bookstore that day? Think about your life. Uh, it's, it's, it's really fortunate. And I think if we wouldn't have met in the bookstore, we'd have met somewhere else. Because you know, prior to that, her, my parents rented an apartment from her parents when they were both in school. And then Julie ends up in my dad's religion class as she comes to school. So that was the trajectory. And I'm glad we... Finally met up. That's great. You confirm Julie's that? here. Confirm all that, Julie. She's here. Is all this a true story? Because <laughs> I, I do believe it, and that is a great thing. I, we all, and did we all, like we used that term, we outkicked our coverage. I, I feel like Dave and I clearly. We've all, we've all outkicked our, our coverage. coverage right? Yes, indeed. Sure. We yes, definitely indeed. have. So. All right, here's the last one. Yeah. So we talked about Dale, who we love, but we also love George Durant. Uh, Dave and I have, have 
you know, he's was great to us back in the day. We had him for religion class, and he's always been so kind and gracious to me. What's your favorite thing about your, your dad, George Durant? The way he loves people. You know, I, I, I have had opportunities to travel the world, and invariably people will come up and say, is your father George Durant? And I'll say, yes. And I'll say, let me tell you a George Durant story. And then they'll share something with me that's been impactful in their, their life. And, and just through his love and caring and willingness to memorize people's names and share stories and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's impacted lives. And it's been really astounding to, to see and to hear, be a witness to all the different stories and people that he's touched over, over the years. Yeah, that's great. Yep, he has a great, great legacy of love, doesn't he? That's fantastic. Hey, here's a parting shot from uh, your brother. Oh, no. <laughs> What's it like to be the Danny DeVito to Mark's Arnold Schwarzenegger? And then he sent a video clip of the of DeVito and Schwarzenegger. You know, I was thinking about Mark, Mark the other day. You know, obviously, I, I love the guy, but he was a great basketball player. He started every game, and I thought, wouldn't it have been great to be teammates with my brother? Oh, how fun would that have been? Because he, he you know, here I, I was all about trying to, you know, score baskets, and and he was all about rebounding and setting picks and getting the ball to other guys. He would have been a fantastic teammate on the court, but we'd have had a ton of fun off the court. <laughs> that would have been fun. There were some games when, when that I called when, when Mark was playing, and I, I remember thinking – because he would start the game almost like he had a chip on his shoulder. And he'd grab like four boards in a row. And I'd think, is he going to get every rebound tonight? He's, <laughs> he seemed like he had the mentality he was going to get every rebound that night. And I loved the passion that he played with. When you post him up, though, he can't stop you, can he? <laughs> no. Oh, I, I, I have no chance against Mark. He'd just muscle me and knock me out of the way. So. Devil, hey. back up, face up, and just shoot it right over the top of him. <laughs> Thank you for... Uh, Telling Julie, you guys were just going out for a hamburger for a couple of minutes and then swinging by here. Sticking with us all night like this. We appreciate um, it so our, much. And then our podcast will be up tomorrow, and uh, and folks will be able to enjoy this for, for a long, long time. But we appreciate your time. No, thank you, and thanks thanks for doing this. I love to listen to you, too, and listen to your guests and, and reflect back on, on some of the wonderful times that we enjoyed and, and even with the more current guys to, to get the inside feel. It's a chance to get to know people and it's always more fun to cheer on those that you feel like you have a little connection with so thank you you bet uh, we, our pleasure we love this format Devin, because all the other stuff that we do is soundbite you know when we're in studio doing television shows it's two minutes here three minutes there it's a video but they this is the only time we get to actually sit down and just really get into the stories and the personalities and so it is such a treat for us to be able to do yeah. this it's fun Oh, you do a great job. Thank, Thank you, gentlemen. You. Thanks, Thank you. Devin, so much. DJ, let's listen to Kalani Sataki for just a minute, and then we'll finish up with some of our, our weekly business. Here's the coach from uh, Monday ahead of the Arkansas game. Yeah, excited about a new week and uh, for the opponent this weekend. Obviously, um, now after watching the film and seeing some things we can, uh, you know, uh, that we can fix, we're looking forward to getting that done, too. So uh, proud of the players' effort. Uh, energy was awesome. I said it before, and the last time I talked to the, the press, I was really thankful for our fans 
and the excitement, the energy that they brought, um, you know, just didn't go our way. And, and I'm committed to get, making that, making sure that we play better next. So, uh, looking forward to this matchup. Arkansas is really good. Um, head coach Sam Pittman, he's one of the great ones, man. He's just a really good person, and um, just had, uh, you know, I know a lot of people that worked for him and worked with him, and uh, he. We've had some great exchanges. I, I think he's just got. He, he, he gets it. He's he's one of the good guys in football, and, and uh, looking forward to his matchup. And obviously, he does a great job leading his team. Um, they've had some injuries, and I know they're looking back, to, looking to get getting healthy again and playing this game. Uh, we're excited to invite them out here to Provo and play this game in front of our home crowd. And uh, looking forward to the matchup in, in a day, you know, the 1:30 kickoff. So looking forward to that as well. Um, so there's a lot of things that we want to do and, and do better than what we've done. The first six games, and and uh, I feel, but I feel good about our our group, our players, our coaches, uh, and uh, looking forward to the matchup. Looking forward to this week and the preparation. So I'll take any questions you guys have. Opening thoughts from Kalani Sataki as we are in Arkansas week Saturday afternoon. Let's roll out our picks. There's some big games coming this weekend, and um, we'll take five or six, and you can kind of keep those in mind, and we'll talk about them next week. We got number three Alabama at number six Tennessee. Which way are you going? Ooh, this is – I'm picking the upset. I I know it's a dumb pick, and I know that you are 30 – The balls do that. You're, you're 39 up. and 7, and I'm 34 and 12 because I pick with my heart, and you actually <laughs> make sense. But I don't care that Alabama's better. I want Tennessee, so I'm picking them. All right, you're going the balls. I'm going Alabama. I'm going Alabama on that one. Uh, number 10, Penn State, set number 5, Michigan. Michigan's way overrated. I'm not quite sure here, but okay, I, don't, me- I don't love Penn State either. No, I'm going Michigan. It's in the big house. They're going to win at home. Yeah. USC at Utah. Oh, man. I'm Utah gonna, number 20. They lose their out of the top 25. I'm, Trojans I'm, are seven. I'm going to go USC. They've got so much offense. I am, too, because, you know, I, I, I can't pick the Utes. You never pick the Utes. I no. pick the Utes. See, there's the, um, there's the one where we don't – I don't do it by my heart. I actually – and you do. Yeah, that's 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 because of my father. Um, uh, Oklahoma State is eight at number 13, TCU. This is an intriguing Oh, one. man, TCU's got all kinds of offense going this year. Um, ooh, I'm going to go Oklahoma State. Okay, I'm going TCU on that. Okay. And then uh, we've got 15th-ranked North Carolina State, which we don't care about, but they're playing number 18, Syracuse. Robert Anai is there and a handful of other former Cougar coaches. The Orange are playing pretty good. What do you like in that one? They've got them in that... They still play in that dome. They play in the Carrier Dome. It's a relic, um, but it's not far from where I grew up. I, you know, just just for Robert and those guys, I'm going to pick Syracuse. Okay. I like Syracuse too in this one. They score a lot of points, and they were on TV the other day. And it's it's the same offense he ran when Rob, he was here. Robert does a great job. And over it, you know, Robert uh, does a phenomenal job. Cougars in the NFL on Week Six, a Thursday nighter for Dax Milne. I don't see him on the field very much for the Commanders. He's returning punts all the time, though. Is he, he returned. A bunch I just of always punts look to see receptions. Yeah, no. If if you just watch the punt game, he's their main punt returner. They play guy. at the Bears Thursday night. So we'll get a chance yeah. to watch him. So Sunday, you know, Fred Warner, who's in my opinion, the best linebacker in the National Football League for the 49ers. They're at the Falcons and Tyler Algier, who's been playing well. Patriots at the Browns with Sione Takitaki. We both have Nick Chubb on our fantasy team. We're yeah, happy about and that. and he's been my best point scorer. And then how about the Jets at the Packers? Back-to-back wins for the Jets. And Zach Wilson. Like Zach Wilson, they're going to put a poster up on a big building in New York <laughs> if he keeps winning. He's been phenomenal the last two games. Great for Zach. They're going to have posters up. I think they're up right now for Taysom Hill. The, the Bengals are at the Saints. we got Danny Sorensen and Taysom. Taysom, three touchdown runs, a touchdown pass against the Seahawks. 
He was that's awesome. And he also recovered a fumble, by that, the that's way. That's why I picked him up on my fantasy team today. So, hey, and how about the Panthers at the Rams? It's Brady Christensen, their left okay. tackle at the Rams. Monday Night Football, Kyle Van Noy and Michael Davis as the uh, Chargers host the Broncos. And then Jamal Williams, we're thinking yep. he might come out to the game this Saturday. I hope so, because he's got a bye this week. If and he is, he'll be on game day. I, I love when he and his mom are on campus. If Jamal's <laughs> mom is one of my favorite people in the world. How about this Taysom Hill note? Now, Taysom, as you know, is David Nixon's brother-in-law. So we get a lot of we get a lot of insight stuff on uh, on, on Taysom, and he's having a great week coming off yeah, of so Sunday. Th- this is a crazy stat. So th- we call it the Super Bowl era. So since, since, ever since the Super Bowl has been in effect... Taysom and Walter Payton, sweetness, are the only players in Super Bowl era with at least 20 rushing touchdowns, eight passing touchdowns, and six receiving touchdowns. Can you believe that? Only two players. And we're talking about one of the greatest players in the history of football and Taysom Hill. So, you know and, what? But here's, a, yeah, he, he's the only return missionary in NFL history to ever do. <laughs> yeah, we'll put that, that footnote right in now. there. He stands alone when it comes to that. Yeah. October 11th, this day in history, we got some birthdays, and we'll have our Lavelle Edwards quote on Lavelle's birthday, which is today, um, and then we'll roll us out of here. But let's go back to 1890. Yeah, 1890, the first 100-yard dash, it's a 100-yard dash, by the way, under 10 seconds. It was run by John Owen, 9.8 seconds in Washington, D.C. What are they doing that now? They run 100 meters in like 9.54. That's crazy. That's what... Yeah, it's 1890. It's, Who knows what kind so, of timer so they use? Frankie that we were talking about, Frankie Fredericks at one time had the most sub 10 second 100 meter dashes in history at one time, which is pretty cool. BYU guy. 1975 Saturday Night Live debuts on NBC with George Carlin as the host. That must have been a record of beeps yeah. for, for a program. Because he used to do the seven things you can't say on television. And then he said like right. a thousand other things yeah, so. you can't 1980, say. 1980, the Dallas Mavericks debut as a franchise in the NBA. How about that? 1980. Yep. Uh, 81, then-unknown musician Prince Rogers Nelson opens for the Stones in the L.A. Coliseum. He later became Prince, and then he later became just a symbol. symbol. Well, then he went back to Prince. That was his evolution. And uh, anyway, 1981. Yeah, okay, 1984, the first spacewalk by an American woman. So Dr. Catherine Sullivan was the first woman to walk in space. 1992, the first presidential debate with three candidates. President Bush, Bill Clinton, and Ross Perot. And a lot of Republicans to this day blame Ross Perot for President Bush losing that election to Bill Clinton. Yeah, well, hey, And they're listen, right. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. That was <laughs> Ross Perot. So, and how about this last one? Yeah, 20, it threw me off. Yeah, 2020. Because we're in October. NBA Finals, 2020. Remember, it's the COVID year. Yeah. Right? Lakers beat the Heat. And LeBron becomes the first player to win MVP award on three different teams. How about that? They're playing the NBA Finals in October due to that crazy. It was 20, COVID that's year. why we're broadcasting games in empty stadiums. Yeah, that was that was the craziest year ever that's for over. all of us. Some birthdays. Yeah, eighteen twenty-one. George Williams, the founder of a great organization. I grew up playing basketball and doing stuff at the YMCA. How about that legacy? YMCA. That's pretty cool. Eighteen forty-four. Henry John Hines. Speaking of legacy, founder of Hines Corp Company, which gave us ketchup. Thank goodness for for him. Yeah. So, uh, 1884, Eleanor Roosevelt, the wife of Franklin D. Roosevelt, the longest-serving first lady in American history, four terms. It was her birthday in 1884. They've they've come up with term limits since then. Four terms they were in there. Yep. You get so tired of the White House food, four terms living there? It gets old. On this day in 1930, the great Lavelle Edwards was born. So, and then in 1961, how many years later? 
the great Steve Young is born. And I always was like, Steve, come on. You know the only reason you're playing is because you have the same birthday as Lavelle <laughs> and your great, great, great grandfather founded the university. That's you got two the good inside things. Track. You're not that good, <laughs> but you got the inside track. And then he became good. Right, so, so Lavelle in 1930, Steve Young in 1961. And he's still the only player in BYU history to throw a touchdown pass, catch a touchdown pass, and run for a touchdown in a game where they scored just those three touchdowns in the 1983 Holiday 20, Bowl. 21-17. Okay, trivia. Who did he catch the touchdown pass from? Eddie Stinnett. Eddie Stinnett. So it was oh, a, that's right. I knew that. Let me that just, was call, let me just call the play for you. It was red right. Ride 28, quarterback throwback left on one. Eddie Stinnett got the ride. That was just a sweep where it was a handoff. Steve ran around left end. He threw it to him, caught it by the back of the ball, and scored. I had a bad feeling. About and then did a little dance that would probably draw, draw a penalty today. I was 16 making fruit baskets in the back of the produce section at the Orem Albertsons, listening to Paul James on the radio when all that went down. You know what I was doing? Getting ready to borrow Mark Bellini's car. Yeah, because you were having a Because I was were, driving back Brenda out. was having a kid, Well, right? we already had the kid. We already had Kellen. The, well, that was the other Holiday Bowl. No, no, that was that Holiday Bowl. We had him the the night right in early in the morning, the day of. Oh, okay, that's right. I left Brent at the hospital. I went to the game. We were at the game. Then I borrowed Mark Bellini's car, drove out to the hospital, checked her out of the hospital, picked him up. We drove out to North Island Naval Air Station. We drove the car right up to the stairs, and we walked up with our less than one day old baby up the stairs and flew on the charter home of the team. And the first person that held Kellen when we got to the top of the stairs so we could get situated was Elder Holland, who said, here, let me hold that baby while you guys get set, because he was the president of the university. See, that's a great story. That's almost better than Steve Young's thing. Well, I just ran into Elder Holland at a basketball game last year, and he was reminding me of that story. He's like, you remember I was the first one that held Kellen. I go, I, Elder Holland, I remember it. I remember it. Hey, yesterday was Kalani Sataki's birthday, so what a week in BYU lore. Great, great week, so... All right, let's finish with our Lavelle quote. We remind you, next week, David Nixon, Andrew George. Teammates. And Amanda Cox, uh, who's coordinating all the alumni activities back around the Liberty game, will join us live. Brandon Doman and Coach Steve Cleveland. A week after that, Alema Harrington and Max Hall will get us into November. And on and on and on we go. Got great, great folks coming up. We're so grateful all those that will come on and join us. Okay, this is Lavelle's quote. After defeating Utah 34-27 to and, and that crazy comeback up in Salt Lake City, this is his final game as BYU's head coach. Lavelle said, it was a great ball game on both sides. I couldn't ask for a better way out. I've been blessed, and I'm proud of what we've been able to get done over the years. Went on to win 257 games. BYU celebrating the 50th anniversary of his first season as head coach in 1972, and today would have been his 92nd birthday. And, and Patty lit the Y at the last home game, Lavelle's yeah. dear wife, and that was so cool. That was great. So cool. We will see you at the stadium uh, Saturday for BYU Sports Nation game day on the air at 1.30 Mountain Time. Cougars and Razorbacks, 3.30 Mountain Time. Uh, no, 3.30 Eastern Time, 1.30 Mountain. Yeah, so 11.30 so Mountain. 11.30 Mountain. In the morning, we're on. We're going to start game day. And then 1.30 is the game. Which means you and I have to be there at 9.30. Yeah, it does. Don't be late. The Jets are going to buzz the stadium after the uh, f thirty five is on tap. Thanks to Clark Heyman, our BYU grad that coordinates all that. Curtis Brown and Devin Durant, we thank them both for uh, being our headliners tonight. Podcast will be up tomorrow. Remember to go to YouTube and Twitch and subscribe, and we'll all grow this thing together and and let's have a better weekend than we had last weekend for the love so remember 
There's always the remember Devin told us about the power of positivity. Yeah. Saturday, we lost. I was down, but I couldn't see colors. <laughs> Sunday, for the first time in my life, I saw red. The weekend was great. Yeah, it's a lot all of people, good. What you don't want to do is be dressed in red uh, during the running of the bulls over there in Spain. No, they but, see red, and then that that's a whole different. My Brenda told me I had to stop being weird because I had those glasses on. And the, there's no chance pe- those glasses were, aren't going to keep. People that. were walking by, and I was like <laughs> staring at him because I couldn't believe what red stripes on a shirt looked like. I've never seen it before, and she's like, "Hun, you need to chill. You're weirding people out." So, but I've never seen red before. So, all is not lost. There's more important things in football games, like uh, being able to see a color. And it's nice because now you'll be safer to drive around town. Like. Yes. Hey, the red light's on top. It's dark. The green light's on the bottom. It just looks like white. Lane Fowler, I'm Dave McCann, our crew here. Thanks for watching The Wise Guys and the two of us. See you next week.